Hello, welcome to What's Your Least Favorite Scary Movie. Um, today we are doing something a little bit differently. So Jesse and I are both pretty under the weather. She has tested positive for COVID. I am feeling bad. I have not received a positive test yet, but neither of us are capable of really holding a conversation for an episode this week. We were really wanting to do this. We woke up the day we were planning to record and just felt like shit. So, um, sorry, this week we're having to delay our Halloween 2018 episode. Um, but don't worry, we'll have it out by hopefully by Saturday. That's the plan. Uh, probably really as soon as we feel better. So as soon as we start feeling better, we'll be able to get that out. But we figured in the meantime, we could uh, leave something here to hold you guys over. Since we're going back to a direct sequel to the original Halloween, we figured we'd drop in the old original Halloween episode here for you guys to listen to in the meantime. So yeah, go ahead and uh, just catch up on this. And then in the next few days, we'll be back and we'll actually talk about the real one, Halloween 2018. So thanks for understanding. We'll be back soon. Love you. Bye. Hello. What's your least favorite scary movie? Black cats and goblins and broomsticks and ghosts. Covens of witches with all of their hosts. You may think they scare me, you're probably right. Black cats and goblins on Halloween night. Welcome to What's Your Least Favorite Scary Movie, the podcast where we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the absurd in everybody's favorite and least favorite scary movies. Because we believe every horror movie rightfully has its fan base, even if we don't always understand why. My name's Jesse. My name's Travis. Today, we are talking <laughs> about the night that he came home, Halloween, 1978. Yep. Go into the very beginning, and like we did with Friday the 13th, we are going to do one movie in the franchise per month until we are done. Yeah, it's going to be a long journey. It's going to be over a year, but I'm excited about it because it's no secret on this podcast. This is my favorite series, and this movie right here is my favorite movie of all time, so I'm going to be biased. You guys know it, but I can't wait. can't wait to talk about it. I know it's a movie that's been talked about to death. Everybody knows everything about it, but... I think I found some things in here that's going to surprise some people. Cool. I think it might surprise you too. It's right. going to be awesome. Looking forward to this. All right. I'm excited. We've just got a real quick announcement. If you didn't listen to our bonus episode that came out this past Sunday, go ahead and do that. We say farewell to Friday the 13th and we rank every movie in the franchise and then we compare it to how we rated them throughout the past year. So we discovered that uh, there's not a lot of consistency between us. No, it's kind of cool though. Uh, we were also on the Decision Reel last week talking about Scream 2022. Uh, again, we talked about this in our bonus episode this week, but just in case you haven't listened to it yet, we talked specifically about the newest entry in the Scream franchise. I'm sure a lot of people, since clearly we love Scream, were wondering why we haven't talked about it, and it's because we want to go through the entire franchise at some point, um, give it, give every movie like a full episode's like worth of discussion. Like we're doing with this. Yes. Um, so that is what... That's about if you want to hear us talk about the newest Scream, go check them out. Uh, Travis, I believe we've got two poll results we have to go through for both Cry Wolf and mm -hmm. Hell House. Is that correct? That's true. All we, because, right. uh, you know, as you guys already know, we had to miss last week because we recorded it in advance. So we got Cry Wolf and Hell House that we ran a poll for. Um, the Cry Wolf one was. 
you choose the song about how you feel about the movie. So it's either uh, Living on a Prayer or Shot Through the Heart. And it was unanimously Shot Through the Heart. I wonder Ooh. why. Because he gets shot through the heart. I mean, Spoiler he does. Alert. That's true. And for Hell House, it was simply just, do you believe in ghosts? And on Instagram, everybody said yes. Everybody believes in ghosts. And yeah. on Twitter, it was um, 25% no, 75 yes. All right. So most people believe in ghosts. All right. Spooky days to you all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, but this week, let's hop right into it. Yeah. We're talking 1978. Halloween, we watched it on the Lionsgate 4K Blu-ray. Yeah, I think it's like the 40th anniversary um, edition of it. There's um, there's like a 35th edition or 35th anniversary edition also. 31st? 35th anniversary edition also. <laughs> but uh, it's basically the same one, but they did it as like a 4K for the 40th. Yeah, so actually, when I say we watched it there, we watched it with commentary on that disc. And then uh, we also decided to watch it without commentary. But for that, we went over to Shudder and watched the last drive in Halloween Hootenanny version. Um, speaking of, if you want to watch it, you can watch it, of course, on uh, Daddy Shudder, YouTube TV, Sling TV, Prime, or you can rent it through YouTube, Google Play, or Voodoo. So, yeah, it's it's very easy to watch. Um, you want to go in and just, like, drop the... Like, we got, like, a code here for Shudder. Um, a free trial if you don't have any way to watch this movie and you want to because yeah, you know why we, not yeah we uh, we found one cut of the dead in Dollar Tree of all places and that's a Shutter exclusive it's a fantastic movie um, but if you want to be able to experience all Shutter has to offer we do actually have a free 30 day trial code um, so the first person that DMs us after hearing this we'll, we'll give it to you DM or email reach yeah. out to us however you want yeah, yeah first person first come first serve yes but Enough about that. Let's talk about Halloween 1978. So that gives it away right there when this movie released. 1978, <laughs> we have to clarify that now since we have the new series that came out in 2018. Or not the new series, the new sequel. Newest entry. Yeah. Um, but yes, so this movie was written and directed by John Carpenter, but it was also written by his then-girlfriend, Deborah Hill. Mm -hmm. The cast of this movie, we got a pretty decent little cast, um, but I picked the people that were pretty much mostly important. Uh, John Carpenter also did the music. Oh, well, yeah. For the people curious. Well, we normally talk about who does the music, so. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've got, like, additional stuff in there, too. Okay. But, you know. Annie is played by Nancy Keys. Linda is played by PJ Souls. Lindsay is played by Kyle Richards. We got Tommy Doyle, played by Brian Andrews. And Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasance. He's going to be a hotly debated topic on this episode. I can on already tell. Episodes. Everybody, yeah. Because we, we've already, we've kind of talked about it. And then every time we get into it, I'm like, let's just save it. And then this is the time. So it's going to get let loose here. Nick Castle plays The Shape, otherwise known as Michael Myers. Michael. And introducing Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. Yes. Um, fun fact, Nancy Keys at the time was Nancy Loomis. But that was her name at the time, mm -hmm. right? Okay. I wasn't sure if that was the case. Yeah, so. it's in the it's in the opening credits. Okay, cool. And for this right here, we have uh, some of the additional people that played a part in this. We have Dean Cundy, who's the director of photography in this. He's responsible for a lot of the shots in this movie. Or in this movie, it's um, there's a lot of beautiful shots in this. Yes, We're uh, Tommy talk about it a lot. <laughs> Tommy Lee Wallace, he's responsible. He was um, 
credited as the production designer. He did the pumpkin that uh, yeah. the the, the infamous pumpkin during the opening credits. And he actually ends up directing part 3. Oh yeah, yeah, you said that you had a lot you went on like a Tommy Lee Wallace um Yeah, I did a deep dive on it. Miniature him. deep dive. Cuz he's I mean, he was part of this from the very beginning. He's also from Somerset, Kentucky, which is very close to where I'm from. Yeah. And you know, I'll talk about him in 2 months. Yeah. But come back in March. Yeah. So, um, I think we already know this movie, you know, the debate, if it's a budget or bug Ted. It's bug Ted. It's bug Ted. It's very well known as bug Ted. Yeah. And it's famously like, it's $325,000, which I, um, I looked it up in today's amount. That would be 1,389,733. See, I told you a million is not a lot for a horror movie. It's not, but I mean, it was able to afford them some good equipment. Like, half of the budget was actually spent on the Panaglide. Yeah, I was going to say the Panaglide was cutting edge. They talked about that a lot in the commentary, that yeah. there was a big learning curve with it. It was very new technology, so. The Panaglide's what they use for a lot of the um, the first-person shots in this, and then some of just additional shots, yeah, all, you know. All of, a lot of the continuous shots. Yeah. Uh, but it uh, ended up grossing $47 million. It wasn't an instant hit. Because we in the commentary they were talking about it, people th- seem to think that this movie blew up immediately. But I think a lot of movies like this back in the day they actually started in like a um, like you know a couple of theaters, and then it kind of moves across you know th- like the country, going to different theaters. It wasn't like a worldwide or like a nationwide release, but it's one that kind of quickly caught on and uh, ended up making them yeah forty seven million dollars on. Uh, uh, which today that would be two hundred and one million. Holy shit! Yeah, so it's a pretty big hit, especially for what was three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. And that's pretty much how John Carpenter was able to go on and do the rest of the stuff he, the rest of his career. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, he got this based off of his previous movie, which was Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually got him a lot of things for this because uh, that movie made him. It made the people that um, were producing this like a small profit, so they're like, here, just do this. Uh, the movie was actually supposed to be called The Babysitter Murders, and yes. it ended up being... It grew into Halloween because budget constraints. Um, it was a way to keep it from having multiple wardrobe changes, so they wanted it to be set on one night, and they chose Halloween because it's the scariest night of the year. So, you know, that's it's another lesson about... Or not, maybe not a lesson, but an example of how a budget can actually it can be good. Like working under like a tight budget can actually benefit a product, especially horror movies. I think. Yeah, and uh, that was another one of the things too that we talk about sometimes: how things feel like they're jammed in just to create a longer running time. But you don't yeah. really feel that in this movie because there's a lot of like long shots, and you're just kind of submersed and the thing is there are immersed in the world um and it really like i mean he wanted everybody to feel like this is a typical small town americana type situation uh but a lot of it those lingering shots were because they had to kind of pad the runtime that plus i mean they even with all of those they needed additional shots too i remember he said the scene where um 
Ori and Annie are driving in the car and they're talking about Ben Tramer and you can tell it's like getting dark out when it's actually sunset. They had to do that because one, the runtime was down, but they also did it to make it a transition from day to night because before they did that, it was just like day and then immediately night in the next scene. Yeah. So. Well, there's also another little trick they pull that we'll talk about as we go through the movie yeah. that I think is uh, really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know what? There's plenty more to talk about here. I'll save it except for this one thing that I think is kind of interesting. So um, John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tommy Lee Wallace were all good friends. John Carpenter and uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, I think, actually knew each other from Bowling Green. Yeah. This uh, John Carpenter grew up in Bowling Green. A lot of this movie is influenced by Bowling Green. Jesse is from yeah. Western Kentucky, so a lot of they these... They throw out Russellville. Russellville yeah. is like... Hardin County, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of... It's a mixture of New Jersey and um, and Kentucky because Deborah Hill is from New Jersey, so Haddonfield is a New Jersey mm. location. And then they just went with Illinois to split the difference. Yeah, but <laughs> they all attended uh, University of Southern California Film School, which is a pretty famous film school. Yeah. You know, a lot of people get their start there. But they all had a band together, and I've got pictures of this. I'll share this. Um, on our social media I've got the album art and I've actually got a picture of them performing with all of like Michael Myers masks on oh that's cool <laughs> it's like a cover band but they actually have originals too <laughs> and um, according to Tommy Lee Wallace they actually charted on uh, MTV at one point <laughs> that's awesome and it is cool um, so John Carpenter it's called The Coupe de Villes and nice. it goes uh, John Carpenter was vocals and bass Nick Castle was keyboards and Tommy was the guitar. Okay. So it's kind of cool that, you know, they have... It, this whole movie is like a bunch of friends making it, basically, except for Donald Pleasance. You know, he's yeah. like... Every, everybody was super young. John Carpenter was the oldest person on yeah. the set. He was 30 years old when he made this. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is 19. Yeah. Yeah, they did the whole shoot in, like, what, 19 days, it's right? 20-some. 20 20, 21. Yeah, it was somewhere, I think it was like somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Donald Pleasance was only there for three or four days. Yeah. So. He only got paid $25,000. Apparently, Jamie Lee Curtis only got paid 8000 I mean, she so made up for it later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of people made money off of this, like, in the long run, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and then Donald Pleasance, uh, according to Joe Bob, took it because he was just always constantly grinding because he has six children. Not only that, I mean, in the commentary too, John Carpenter talked about how that's where he got that thing, I think. But basically, it's uh, his Donald Pleasant's daughter liked his music in Assault on Precinct 13. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a big influence, but Donald Pleasant wasn't really into it at first. Uh, he was uh, he was confused about his character, and he even told John, he's like, I don't know why I'm doing this movie. <laughs> you know, and that's not really a thing that you would want to hear. No. But, yeah. It, it worked, worked out. out. They ended up being good friends. And he is in two other of John Carpenter's movies. He's in Escape from New York and he's in, fuck, what is the other one? You can basically call Halloween 2 a John Carpenter movie. Uh, he's also in probably the only Jalo I like more than you. Phenomena. Phenomena. Yeah. It's Argento too, which is weird. It's just such a weird movie. I don't know. It's so weird. I like it. Um, But okay. Enough about that. That's background. And yeah, as I said, I'm going to just throw in things as we go you too yeah i'm sure because we both got a lot of information from this yes yes we did so all right let's go into pre-thoughts 
Okay. Or pre-rankings. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I know this is a very special movie to you, so I'll let you decide. I'll go ahead and go. Okay. Um, Can I guess what your score is going to be? Yeah, go ahead. I'm guessing you're going to give it a 10. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, this is a 10. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see how, I mean, I can understand how somebody would rank this lower, but I don't know. To me, this is the perfect horror movie. It's so fucking good. Um, It's got... It's simple, but it's effective. It, the characters are good. I feel like everybody had a good time making it, and it kind of translates on camera. Um, they mentioned that, you know, nobody was like, everybody was kind of like inexperienced still. And I think that kind of like, once you get like too too far into it, I guess, you know, like that's like a sweet spot for making things like this. I don't know if I'm making sense, but like. No. <laughs> Not having like, this is like the perfect amount of experience to make something special, I think, because some people like even when we were watching the commentary, he was like second guessing about how he would do things. But I feel like every shot that he did in this was perfect, almost like everything plays out great. I like the extended shots on things. It's very much a product of its time. And it's such an influential horror movie that I don't know. It's just amazing. Michael Myers is one of the scariest horror icons ever. Even to this day, I'm freaked out watching Halloween 1. It's just, it's such a tense movie. The music is amazing. I just think that this is a movie that has everything. It's got the score, it's got the characters, it's got the story. It looks great. Everything about it is just perfect. So uh, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. And so. All right. All right. What's your thought? Do you want to guess my score? I think you're going to give it a 9. Actually, I'm going to give it a 10. You're giving it a 10? I'm giving it a 10. Okay. I I agree. There's not really a lot of complaints that I have with it. I think it's very, very effective. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's one of the first horror movies that I intentionally watched and it scared the shit out of me. Me it's too. The, it's part of the reason that Jason Takes Manhattan is so important to me because this is not a fun, lighthearted, goofy, scary movie. It's just fucking scary. Yeah. And I think it's very simple. There are some really drawn out shots, but I feel like they're all really effective. Like I said, until we listened to the commentary, I had no clue that that was padding the runtime. And normally you can usually be like, why is this scene here? Oh, because the movie's 89 minutes. They clearly needed to add something. Yeah. I, I don't get that feeling from anywhere in this movie. I think people make sense as human beings. They make logical decisions. And yes, I hate Dr. Loomis, and I'm going to get into that, but I don't hold that against the movie necessarily. See, and I thought that was what was going to knock your ranking down a little bit because you were so vocal against his character in this. I thought that that was enough to make you drop a point at least. It will definitely affect later movies. Okay. It will definitely affect them. All right. So that's where we're at to start off with. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. That's a first for the like the podcast. I think so. So I'm I'm really I'm really intrigued to see where we land after we've talked about everything and I'm curious to read uh, some internet reviews. So we were watching this with commentary as I said before. It's recent commentary. Uh well relatively recent about 2014. Yeah, 2014. With John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. So. It's interesting watch or listening to these two talk too because 
they um, they made it clear that they hadn't seen each other in such a long time, but they have such a good relationship that yeah. it's nice seeing them like reconnect and talk about this movie together. Yeah, so she uh, he hired her. He knew Janet Lee from Psycho, obviously, and apparently she was um, she being familiar with show business herself was pretty picky about letting Jamie Lee get into it. Um, so she was pretty clear about what <laughs> what roles it would be good for her to audition for, et cetera, et cetera. So she, uh, this was her first, this was her introduction in film. That's why it says introducing Jamie Lee Curtis as yeah. Laura Stroud. She'd done some TV stuff before. Yeah. I think it was The Love Boat, right? Something. No, I think that was after. That was after. That's what... Yeah, that's uh, they were talking about how this movie didn't actually give her like oh, a yay. career. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she she did that. Um, but yeah, she's really close with John Carpenter, and at his at the time, his girlfriend Deborah Hill, who you know we talked about already. Uh, her her and Lori her, her and Jamie Curtis <laughs> became really really good friends. She like she refers to her as one of my best friends. So. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that they have that relationship with yeah. each other. Yeah, and I. I talk about this a lot. I, I really like it when it seems like a director is not an asshole on set. Like, it seems like John Carpenter is really able to create an atmosphere that promotes this type of camaraderie and makes everybody feel safe and comfortable. That's what I was reading in the book, too. Um, I've got that John Carpenter book, and a lot of it is uh, set photos of Halloween, but one of the cast members was quoted as saying, like, he never once raised his voice at people. He was very... Like, he was just a nice person, and he just did a good job working with the cast. Yeah. So. So we start off with that chant that we decided to use as our opening for <laughs> for this. Uh, we see Haddonfield. We get the shot of the Myers house. Now, they actually shot this scene last, and they had the whole crew was helping to whitewash it, put up curtains, make it look nice. So it makes a lot of sense now when you hear that. That, oh, of course, it's easier to make something look nicer than it is to make something look dilapidated. Yeah, especially uh, when you're on a budget. Yeah, so it, it it never occurred to me before, but hearing them say that, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. So and this is actually the last scene shot in the movie. I don't ever actually think of this as, like, before they even mentioned that, I didn't even think of this as the Myers house that we see later on. I, I Just based off of, like, how I assume movies are made, I just thought that this was a completely different house. yeah. So it's impressive. Yeah, they completely cleaned it up for this scene. Yeah. Um, so we start off. Judith and her boyfriend are on the couch. They're being goofy. They're flirting. I timed this. Mm -hmm. So from the time they stand up from the couch, I just want you guys to know what wide margins I was giving with this. From the time they stood up from the couch to the time her boyfriend is walking down the stairs, buttoning his shirt. So they start off fully dressed. Clearly they got naked. And he got redressed. A minute and 28 seconds. And that's not movie trickery because everything in this first scene is a continuous shot. It's not a true one take shot. There are a couple of cuts, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah, there's two cuts in this, yeah. but it's a really nice shot. Um... And it's all first person. Yeah. So I love that too. Yeah. So it, it truly, he like thrust once, maybe twice. And he was like, all right, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and this is the thing that happens Can every you... time we watch this movie. You're always like, damn, he's fast. She died after having really unsatisfying sex. It's so tragic. I know her age and the fact that it was her brother also makes it tragic, but it, like compounded by the fact that See, she just had terrible sex. The way that you said that made it sound like that was her brother that had sex with her. <laughs> <laughs> no, that her death is tragic because she was young and because it was her brother that murdered her. And then yeah. it's made even worse by the fact that she just had super unsatisfying sex. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's a tragedy. <laughs> this whole scene is... You know, that's what makes this movie so special because you also feel for Judith here, too. Yeah. <laughs> so we see uh, this first person shot going through the side or back door or whatever it's into the kitchen, door. grabbing a knife. And the hand we're actually seeing throughout these shots is Deborah Hill's hand. Um, grabs a knife, walks through the dining room, up the stairs. And I never considered this before either, but the whole reason that the boyfriend doesn't think anything of it is because obviously it's her brother. He's got a right to be in this house. Well, that, but also it looks like he doesn't even notice him. So I, mean, I don't, I mean, it would make sense for him to, you know, be there. And I don't think anybody would think of it, but he, he was yeah. probably congratulating himself for being such a stud. Yeah. Like he's actually visibly patting himself on the he's back like, as he's walking down yeah. the stairs, like <laughs> pumping his fist. Fuck yeah. Uh, we see the first person shot go upstairs, grab, clown mask off the floor put it on and this is where the second cut is the first cut is like the the doorway between outside to inside is where the first cut happens uh no yeah no they only there's only two cuts in this entire yeah scene. the first cut is in that doorway from outside to inside no. they uh they were talking about it um it's right whenever he puts on the mask here yeah then he goes in there yeah and he that's the first cut Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was in the no. doorway. So that's okay. the first cut, and then it goes into. Uh, he goes into the bedroom, and he sees Judith there brushing her hair topless. He has the butcher knife, and he stabs her. But not before she can go, Michael. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. And uh, right after he stabs her and turns around to go outside, that's where it is because oh, he like okay. there's a quick like pan over into blackness, and then. Uh, yeah okay so that's where yeah there's only two cuts in this whole thing it's a very impressive shot they were talking about how they had to like there's several people actually moving around and ducking out of the scene throughout this entire intro and it's honestly impressive yeah and they're trying to mark uh where shadows would be so that way you don't move into it there's still a couple you can catch a couple of camera shadows yeah right whenever michael is walking into the dining room Mm -hmm. and um it's another like upstairs i think maybe? yeah i think so something like that yeah yeah and if there are a couple of issues with the focus because again the panaglide was just such new technology and he was getting used to the way things focus with it and it was tricky and stuff so like when he when uh michael is grabbing the knife like it looks like a very soft focus and which i always was, thought that was intentional but yeah. apparently not yeah no it, it seems like it would be intentional but it wasn't you, yeah, it, you didn't have to say anything about it i would have been like this is just you know yeah yeah. Art. Exactly. Art. <laughs> yeah. So he kills her. He goes downstairs. He walks out the front door and his parents are outside and they're like, Michael? And they rip off his mask and you find out all along we've been watching a little six year old boy mm-hmm. and he's surprised too. Which I don't know if that's like what I think that might just be the kid because really at this point, even then, Michael is supposed to be the same person as he is as an adult this is just how this guy is 
I think what what I'm guessing that they gave this child actor the note was uh you're in trouble but you don't care. He and I feel only, like yeah. a six year old would be like <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, fun fact, um, the reason that he has the clown get up is the original, one of the earlier ideas mm-hmm. for Michael was to be like with a clown mask and they had like red hair and everything like that. And they they said it was like a fucking creepy mask, but ultimately they went with the Shatner mask. So I'm, this I'm is kind of like a, did. yeah, I am too. But this is like a kind of, they just use the idea here. So he, that's his yeah. child costume. Yeah, and uh, speaking of all of those people on set moving out of the way, trying to make sure this this continuous shot works well, uh, that ties back very well to us talking about One Cut of the Dead. Uh, so, yeah, it does. Yeah, holy shit! Watch that movie. Yes, please. watch that movie. It's so don't look fucking anything good. up yeah. about it though. Yeah, no, I was very curious. Travis had me watch it. He's like, "You're not allowed to look anything up." I've talked about this before. I'm a notorious IMDb'er. He was like, "No, you're not allowed to look anything up." Um, so I, it, oh my God, it became an instant favorite for me. It's so good. So go watch that fucking movie. Yes. On Shutter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where, that's the only place you can watch it. Yeah. So. Or buy the DVD from Dollar, Dollar Tree. Tree. That's cheaper actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then get your free 30 day trial from the DVD and then be like us and be like, holy shit, Shutter is well worth the $6 a month. And then, Yeah. You'll yeah. be where we are, making a podcast mm-hmm. about horror movies. Yep, and begging for Craig Engler to notice you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cut to present day. Well, present day for 1978. Halloween day. Actually, no. We cut to October 30th at Smith's Grove. October 30th. 1978. Uh, we see Dr. Loomis in, what is the nurse's name? You know, I'm going to, I'm ashamed of myself that I actually don't know it. I don't feel like her name is She's ever mentioned in this one. She comes back later, though, right? That's her. That's in 2018. Yeah, but she's not in any of the other ones. This, uh, It's this one and 2018. I feel like it's Marion. Or not 2018. She's in Halloween Kills. Oh, yeah. 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 I think you're right. I think it's something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. So she and you know what? It, it lives up to that old uh, horror adage if you don't see the body they're not really dead exactly yeah i mean well she doesn't so i mean she gets thrown out of the car and that's it so yeah. basically so they're uh, driving because they've got to transfer michael myers yeah and you know he's asking her if she's ever done a transfer and you know she's not really done anything like this before not not maximum security type situation and <sighs> Loomis goes on and on and on about how evil Michael is. And well, how she, yeah, she's like, oh, I, I just hate it whenever they're just talking nonstop. And he's basically saying, you don't have to worry about this guy. He doesn't say a word. He hasn't spoken since he was six years old. And then he says, I'm going to give him a bunch of Thorazine before his court appearance. And she was like, well, then he won't really be able to speak at the court appearance. And he's like, good. That's the point. That's fucking unethical. Uh, yes. For it's, a normal person. I would agree. Uh, do you, when do you want to talk about this Loomis thing? Do you want to, like, save it for later, or do you want to get can, this out of the way? We can get into it at the end. I'll bring up some of my points as we go through. But okay, I'll, I'll talk sure. about why I fucking hate him okay. more at the end. But, yeah, that's a huge ethical and legal violation. Like, okay. knowingly trying to sabotage 
his court appearance is just especially if he hasn't spoken in 16 years yeah you know it he's not gonna defend himself and plus it's not like loomis won't get a chance to testify either as loomis is gonna fuck him over big time he's gonna tell i mean he he doesn't need to add the chemical restraint aspect to it later on he's talking to the, the sheriff saying he spent we'll talk about that Okay, when we get to it. Sure. Okay. I don't want to jump around too much. I, like I know everybody knows this for, movie, but I want us okay, to be a little sure, bit linear sure. while we talk about it. Well, okay. What happens here is they're pulling up into this uh, Smith's Grove, and they see all kinds of inmates. Or, or is that what it is? Inmates or patients? I, because it's. We see a bunch of psychiatric patients they're out patients, in the courtyard. They're patients, but they're criminal. Yeah. Like, it's it's a special type of facility. Right. Okay, so it's both. But they're all out there, and they're all kind of just wandering around aimlessly. And there's been, like, a breakout. So Loomis get and, uh, I guess, he's Marianne. Like, he's like, keep driving. And then they go up to the gate. And when he gets out, we get this shot out the rear view window of somebody just, like, fucking Matthew McConaughey their way onto the car. (laughs) This is not a Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) No, this isn't what happens here. What happens here is, um, so he's out there trying to get the gate open that way they can get in. And then all of a sudden, Michael shoots across the back. He's been working on his vertical. Like that's a decent little jump. Even if he had a running start, that's a, that's a pretty good. This guy's in peak physical condition. By the way, Michael Myers at this age is 21 years old. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of weird to think about. This is a 21 year old. I mean, I, technically you're an adult, but I, even at 21, I still kind of think of people as like kids. You know, I'm 30 and I am still a child. Exactly. That's like- what I'm talking about. Like <laughs> us nine years ago. If I saw somebody my own age and they were doing something, I'd be like, "No, you're too young to do that. Stop." <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's a, that's a good age for him to be able to fuck shit up. I just feel like serial killers need to be like 40 or older. You know what I mean? I don't no, like no, that's a no. That's that's in my head. I feel like a serial killer needs to have more life experience well, before sure, they just start killing. Some of them, but you know, <laughs> there's there's room. It's like like, like Michael Myers in 2018, I'm like, he's the appropriate age for a serial killer. He is 61 he is years not. old. That's what people <laughs> complain about all the time is how he's too old for this shit. I'm like, no, he's he's fucking sick of everything. This makes sense. Like, I, I don't agree with handling your problems this way. But yeah, after 61 years on this planet, you're going to burst in some way, shape or another. And he's going oh, with man. serial killing. I can't wait till we get to those movies because <laughs> I love talking about that, Michael. I will defend that, Michael, for sure. Um, Clearly, but- I will, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess we're in the minority on that one. Or maybe some people. I don't know. I just see a lot of people talking shit about him being an old man. But fuck that, man. He's... He's Michael a baby not, in this one. He is not a normal person. And we'll get into that. But for this, at this moment right here, he's on the hood of the car. And um, Loomis is oblivious to all of this. He's just over there still trying to open the gate. Yeah, for somebody who's so convinced he's dealing with pure evil. Well, he's not this, aware of his surroundings. At this moment, the gate is pure evil because it's not <laughs> wanting to open. I think we've all had that moment with a door <laughs> yeah. or a combination lock or whatever, you know, where you're like, this, is, this we have to get this thing open. And it's just not working. You think this is how Loomis talks to, like, everything that he hates at this time? Like, Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like... He burns his food on the stove and he's like, this chicken is evil. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I, he, that's totally the type of dude this guy is. <laughs> He'd be exhausting to be yeah, around. Yeah, like maybe Michael's actually not that bad. Loomis is just a drama queen. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe Michael's a product of Loomis's just calling everything evil. It's like, fuck it, I guess I'm evil. Yeah, like he sat down because Loomis has been his only doctor. So he sits down for his first session and Loomis is like, you killed your sister. You're evil. And child Michael's like, well, fuck me then. And he just like, as a petulant six-year-old, is like, I'm not going to talk. And then he held on to that for 15 years. Yeah, so it's been 15 years. Yeah, he's spent 15 years with him. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of time for Loomis. I love Loomis. Loomis has a history. L- like, Loomis will go on to have, like, a pattern of making small children refuse to talk. Because that's what happens with Jamie Lloyd. And you know what? I know it's fucked up, but it's so entertaining to just watch him and then watch other people call him out on being freaky. They're like, why the fuck are you so creepy? <laughs> he, and then, you know, like, it just rolls off of him. He just rolls with it. He's like, yeah, I fucking know what's happening. This is Michael Myers. I mean, Donald Pleasance clearly had fun with the role. He's the one who made Loomis the way he is. He wasn't oh. originally going to be into the whole Michael is pure evil. Evil. Like that wasn't originally in the script. And he told John Carpenter, he's like, I don't understand why this doctor is here. What's happening? Like, can we make some changes to the script? And that's how it became this. So speaking of um, Loomis, let's just go ahead. I want to like mention the people that Carpenter originally wanted for this role, which okay. was Christopher Lee, which is one of your favorites. I Can you imagine listen, Christopher Lee as Loomis? I can. I can't. It would be a different kind of Loomis. I can't, man. Like, now that I see Donald Pleasance, that's the only Loomis. You can't... I think he would have brought a different Yeah, role. that's what I'm it's saying. He would have been a different Loomis. I'm thinking, sure. I'm thinking a lot of his character on Wicker Man. I mean, his character in Wicker Man was also a drama queen. So. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, They're both like... They're both... Michael and Loomis are perfect for each other. They're both like crazy individuals but it's kind of the opposite one is i'm gonna call loomis good i know you're gonna say otherwise but one's good best case scenario anti-hero okay i'll i'll accept that but i don't agree with it um (laughs) i am i am in a deadpool blanket sir (laughs) i know anti-hero when i see one and the other one i didn't know who this guy was until i looked it up but Peter Cushing. Do you know who this is? Mm, the name sounds familiar, but I could not tell you anything about him. It's Grand Moff Tarkin from Star Wars. You know, the really old guy that they had to animate in the sequels? Oh, shit! Can you imagine okay. that guy as Loomis? Mm. I can't. No. He's too evil looking. He, I mean, that guy is perfect for a villain. Which apparently Loomis, like uh, Donald Pleasance, played villains pretty much exclusively before this. But, you know, it's just, I don't see him as a Loomis. And Donald Pleasance apparently has a very interesting history in that he was in the military. He fought in World War II and was actually a POW for several years, right? Yeah, I respect that, man. It's fucking insane. Like, I, I, as much as I dislike the character of Loomis and... It hurts me to know that uh, Donald Pleasance is partially responsible for that. I I think Donald Pleasance is a good actor, and I don't have any qualms with him 
as a person. I know sometimes you think that I hate characters based on the actor or I hate I an actor based on the characters. No, it's because not this. If that were the case, you wouldn't like Phenomena as much as you do. Yeah, well, and that was the thing. When we watched Phenomena, you were like, I'm surprised you like this because Donald Pleasance is in it. <laughs> Donald Pleasance takes a hard turn in that movie because he has a chimp as an assistant. I know. Which is so weird. It's amazing. It is amazing. That's that's only shit that Italian horror cinema can do for you right there. That would not play over here in the United States. But over there, it not makes complete sense. Not in a horror sense. movie. It would work in like a Dr. Doolittle type. And not only sense. that, it's also got Jennifer Connelly talking to bugs the entire time. Yeah. That movie is a fucking trip. We have to talk about that at some point. Yes, we really Because we're already talking about it enough on this episode. Yes. But it's Donald Pleasance, man. It's relevant. Yeah. It's yeah. relevant discussion. But anyways, okay, back to the movie. <laughs> so what we got right here is Michael Myers is on top of the car. He's terrorizing the nurse. We think her name is Marianne. Prove us wrong. Marianne. Marianne. Um, and basically he busts the window, scares her. She gets out of the car, and then he takes that opportunity to get in the car and drive away. And then Loomis is running back. He's like, what the fuck happened? And, you know... I, I don't blame her for getting out because he's he attacking He probably her. started calling Nurse Marian evil. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Evil. Call- <laughs> he's just pointing at it. It's like almost like, um, what's the uh, Body Snatchers? Or uh, what the fuck is that movie with the guy that like, ends with him being an alien and he points and he like opens his mouth and screams? Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Um, that's what it is I'm pretty sure that's the name of it no I was thinking of um, it was some Cartoon Network (laughs) cartoon where it's like evil I know what you're talking about I don't know why I can't think of it evil (laughs) what the fuck is that you know know. oh man okay I feel like it could be my gut says it's either Powerpuff Girls or Courage the Cowardly Dog it's one of the two. My of them. brain is telling me courage, but it's not. It's not evil. It's not that. It's because you did the the give back the slab voice. Give back We're, the no, slab. it's return the slab. I'll return this. That that return flows better. Return <laughs> the slab. Yeah, that's a great episode. <laughs> All right. Okay. So then we cut to Haddonfield. On Halloween. Then. On Halloween, it's the next day. Yes. So this is Halloween. This is where the rest of the movie happens. This day, uh, Lori walks out of her house so i always hated how shitty her hair looks and it was intentional so they permed jamie lee curtis's hair and then let it get frizzy because they were like that's the type of look she would have her outfit was from jc penny's and all i could think of was charisma carpenter's cordelia in episode one of buffy the vampire slayer where she sees willow and she says oh i see you've discovered the softer side of sears (laughs) that's this outfit (laughs) The softer side of Sears? Yes. Did Sears sell clothes? Yeah. Ah, what the fuck, man? Sears is like just a weird company. I don't understand what their demographic is or what they sell. And I don't think they do either. They're the Walmart of malls. Not anymore. Well, yeah. But <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So the, the whole point was for her to look like her mom dresses her and she like See, and i've never had a problem with this but like whenever you listen to that in the commentary you're like finally i have an answer like <laughs> i had never even considered it but that's like kind of nice attention to detail like they're getting her into her character that's yeah, no, who she is I, I definitely picked up on it right away i like i said i just always hated how terrible her hair looked and knowing that it's intentional makes me feel good because i feel like a lot of times we expect in movies that characters are meant to look their best 
Yeah, which isn't exactly. always realistic. So it's kind of nice that she was purposefully. I I mean that's yeah way. I mean, yeah that's a way that a lot of people, and like feel I don't think they actually think about it, but a lot of things like this are intentional decisions. Yeah, a lot of people like get into their character. Like she went to J.C. Penney's and shopped. She like shopped exclusively there because she wanted it to be like. She described it as she wanted it to look as though her mom bought her quotes for her. Mm -hmm. So, which is, you know, that goes deep. Yeah. There's like a scene later where she's twirling her hair and John Carpenter is like, why'd you make that decision? And she was like, I didn't. She's like, Laurie Strode, it's a hair twirler. Like, it's just, it it was what was the right thing. It's cool. So you can tell she was really like into the character when she was doing that. I'm going to break this picture frame at some point. That's okay. We'll just... (laughs) So many picture frames. Um, so she's walking to school. This little boy runs up to her. It's Tommy Doyle. They walk together talking about um, Halloween. And she's going to be babysitting him later that night. Um, he is following her for a little bit. And he's like, why are you going to the Myers house? And she's like, well, I've got to drop off the keys. And he's like, why? And she's like, well, my dad's doing a showing there. And he's like, why? And she's like, because he's a real estate agent. and That's his job. And he's like, why? And she's like, please shut the fuck up. That's much verbatim. Right. Yeah. That's what's in the actual movie. <laughs> Please shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, she gets him to run along to school. Uh, she is walking down the sidewalk. Uh, Michael Myers is creeping and watching. Not, I mean, right after, though, whenever she put the key in there, he pops up from the yeah, door and yeah. he's watching right there. Yeah. It's and he watches shot. as she walks down the sidewalk and she sings this song that always, like, Every time I watch this movie for a few days afterwards, I'll be like, wish I had you all alone. And I never had the urge to look it up, but I just assumed it was some like random, older, obscure song that I'd never heard. Coop no. the song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, she was just told to sing something. So she came up with the words and the melody. She was like, I didn't really have anything. And she just kind of went with it. Yeah, that's kind of how he approached a lot of stuff here. They wanted to rehearse a lot of things, but he was just like, just do it. (laughs) Which, you know, they kind of like got some good performances because, you know, people Mm -hmm. are like just thrust into like the moment like that. You know, kind of people are like improvising, thinking on the spot. And it created a hit right there in your head. Exactly. Chart topper. Exactly. In <laughs> Billboard <Jesse's> 100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we go back to Smith's Grove. The director and Loomis are arguing. And uh, Loomis is like, he drove off last night. I watched him drive six times. Um, <laughs> I watched him drive six times. <laughs> the car backfired six times. <laughs> the director is like, um, he can't drive. And uh, he's like, well, he was driving pretty well last night. You're evil. Uh, no, I love that line, though. He's like, well, he did a pretty damn good job of it last night, Here's which is so thing. good. Like, how does he know how to drive? That was like he was he's been in this institution since he's six years old. All I can think of is when I was first learning how to drive, you know, I'd been paying attention to my parents driving, knowing that it was coming up soon, like trying to, you know, watch how things are done. And the first time I got in the driver's seat, I was scared shitless. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And like, I think, I mean, I had adrenaline pumping. Like I said, I, yeah. I was scared shitless. I, how did he, how did he do it? Because he's a cold motherfucker, man. He I doesn't wonder. have emotions. Okay. So psychiatric facilities and prisons alike. So whatever you want to call Smith's Grove, um, tend to have libraries. So I wonder if he like... 
You can't learn. Books you can't learn drive. driving from a book. That's an, that's purely experience. I agree. I'm trying to give some sort of headcanon on how he figured this out. Sure, I I just think that you know it's not like he it's not like this was made nowadays and it's like oh well, maybe he watched YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I don't. If you think too hard about certain aspects of this movie. That's not even thinking too hard about it. It's literally a line saying that you can't drive. Yeah. And I mean, they acknowledge it in this, but if you actually try and think about how he like did it, you know, he he just does, man. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So we cut back to school in Haddonfield. Uh, Lori is a... She has that classic moment. So she's distracted. She's looking out the window. She sees Michael Myers out there. It's worth noting he's already got his mask and jumpsuit on. We don't have an explanation for it yet. We will get it soon. Um, But she sees him and she's like, hmm, that's weird. And the teacher who's been lecturing about fate says, Lori. And she goes, ma'am. And she goes, answer the question. And I think we've all been there. Oh, man. Where we get completely called out for not paying attention. Except she just... She fucking figured it out. Yeah, she fires it off because yeah. she's smart. Yeah, she's so smart. I, I used to tell people whenever I was called on sometimes. If I didn't know, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> like I would just say it. <laughs> and they would get mad at me. I would do that um, in class because I, um, and this is not like in any way bragging. This is just a fact about who I am as a person. I'm a fast reader. And you can attest to that because you've watched me like, yeah, read through yeah. books really fast. So whenever, you know, we'd be in class and we'd be reading out loud and it was like going person by person, I would just count out which paragraph I was in. I would figure it out. I would read every paragraph up to that. And then I would just kind of like daydream for a little while until it was my <laughs> turn because I knew where I had to jump in at. That's smart. That's smart. So maybe right that's there. what Lori is doing. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But she's also smart. So, Yeah. But this is an iconic scene. I love this it scene is. so much. Watching, um, like you're establishing Michael as a stalker here, and yeah. he's just he fixated on her because the, she was at his house. Exactly. There's no motive behind this at this point. This movie was envisioned purely as a one movie intrigue. Like there's no sequels in mind. Um, when John Carpenter wrote this, it was just going to be this night alone, yeah. and so none of the sister bullshit. Um, I like it like that. I don't like the sister thing. Like I'm okay with it in later movies. I'll accept it, but I prefer the timeline where that doesn't exist. It's like Drew Barrymore's character says on screen, there's something scary about a guy with a knife who just snaps. Exactly. Except he didn't like he snapped when he was six years old, so he's he's like long gone. But he's very methodical with his stuff. It was stalking. Mermaid Man! Huh? It was Mermaid Man and SpongeBob doing the evil. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Holy shit! Why did that just come to your mind right now? Because I'm talking about stalkers. <laughs> I don't know. It was one of those that I let the back of my brain deal with while we were talking. <laughs> See, that's why you're smart right there. See, you're like doing your homework in your mind while also doing a podcast. That's good. I congratulate you on that. Good job. I'm sure my mom listens to the show, and I know she's going to be really excited about this episode because she fucking loves Halloween. Um, she also really loves SpongeBob. Um, so I'm sure she immediately clocked where that was from and is going to be really excited that we figured it out. <laughs> I'm proud. I'm proud of you, man. Thank you for doing that. 
But yeah, so he's stalking. She answers the question. She looks back out the window, and he's gone along with the car. So she's kind of questioning herself. And and uh, John Carpenter said in the commentary at this point throughout the movie, and that's the only reason I bring it up now, is he didn't intend to, like, moralize, you know, that Michael Myers only kills people having sex or doing immoral yeah. things or whatever. Like, he wasn't intending to do that. He just wanted to establish that Lori is smart, and that's why she Specifically survived. women, though, because that's yeah. what he was talking about. He, he's, just, he get, he's received criticism that he kills off the women that have sex, and the virgin is the one that survives. But, you know, it's just... The whole thing is, like, it's the babysitter murders originally. Yeah. That's how it was conceived. Um, she was the one that was taking care of the kids. Yeah, exactly. She, she's smart, and she's attentive. And that's what, that's what saved her and the kids. All of the girls were written to be very realistic teenagers at the time, mm-hmm. and they were all different aspects of a teenager. So she was the good kid. Um, Linda is, you know, like the partier. Uh, and Annie is, I guess, I don't know, like kind of the in-between. Yeah. She's, something like that. Yeah, kind of more of the rebel, but she's a little bit like responsible. She's got the cop father. So yeah. she's got that little bit of a rebellious streak. Yeah. Um, she like straight up smokes weed and talks to him immediately after. <laughs> I will talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, we see at the elementary school, yeah. the kids run out. They're all in costume because it's Halloween and that's how little kids are. Um, this is how more older kids and adults should be. Just always wear costume. Like the entire week leading up to Halloween, if we could all wear costume every day, I would be so into it. Nobody will buy into it, man. <sighs> Do it. Do it, everybody. Uh, <laughs> you can't even get people at bars for costume contests to contribute. I remember we went to a trivia night on Halloween a couple years ago, and I was in full costume because we did costumes at work that day. That, yeah. And everybody was like staring at me. And I was like, it's fucking Halloween. Chill out. <laughs> like, yeah. It was weird. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Tommy Doyle's being bullied by kids saying that the boogeyman's going to get him. One of them is Lonnie. One of them. Yeah. Little Lonnie Elam. Um, they push him down. They smash his pumpkin. Why this child was carrying a pumpkin out of school, nobody really has the answer for that. Apparently, it was a pain in the ass to get these pumpkins uh, because they shot this in spring. Yes. And we'll point out some of the the set tech, the set dressings that they had to do to give it the Halloween feel that mm-hmm. I never noticed before, but now can't unsee. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a pain in the ass to get this pumpkin and they had to get the shot basically in one take because if he fell and broke it, they weren't going to be able to reshoot. So, But they had so many for jack-o'-lanterns. Later, I know. You know. There were so many jack-o'-lanterns. I wonder if it was just like the same jack-o'-lantern being moved around. It could be because, I mean, it's the same thing. They all have the same cut to them, too. Yeah. So probably. Yeah. Um, uh, the kids all run away. Like one of them runs into Michael on the sidewalk. Michael like, doesn't. He doesn't run into him. Michael like lunges out and grabs him and holds on to him for a second to like scare him. Well, it's intentional. Well, the kid runs away. He does. And then Michael sees Tommy walking down the sidewalk, and he follows him a little bit, even getting into the car and driving at one point. Um, it's another example of like a long shot too. Like that's yes, a very long shot, it but is. it's so effective. It really, like, it's kind of interesting how we get so many shots, like, with our protagonist, but we also get so many from the killer's POV. It's very split, and it's kind of 
disarming as a viewer because like you you're getting whiplash from the perspective you're yeah. getting it's cool I like yeah it. no I, it's good yeah I don't mean whiplash in a bad no, way no I know like, I know yeah, yeah. Uh, we cut to Loomis at a phone booth remember those <laughs> I don't I, it was before our time I do where where are we at a phone booth at they have stuff like that in Harlan really yeah how many phone booths were in Harlan? How many probably phone booths exactly did Harlan one. require? <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably just one. Uh, so he's at a phone booth and he's calling to warn the sheriff. And I learned later that I can't spell the word sheriff uh, to save my life. So just throwing that out there. Uh, he finds a wrecked truck that's like, says like automotive it's a garage, mechanic, whatever. Yeah. yeah, on the side. And a discarded hospital gown and then when he goes into the weeds he finds or no he doesn't go into the weeds he doesn't find the dead body but the camera pans over and we see a dead body yeah so this is how we find out how michael got his jumpsuit because he killed this person that worked for a garage and took his jumpsuit and he does this so many more times in the future movies he does he likes the jumpsuit it's efficient i respect it yeah i mean he obviously has a preference So Lori and Linda are walking away from school. Linda is definitely cutting out of cheerleading practice early. And I say that because we hear in the background, um, Haddonfield, Haddonfield, couldn't be prouder. Get a little louder. Something like that. I didn't write it down. You you got her pretty much right. I got like 70% of it. Yeah, that's all you need. (laughs) Yeah. I got you. Uh, C's get degrees. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So they're walking away. And we know Linda's a cheerleader because she says, we got to learn three new cheers in the morning, which sounds like a bad idea on the day of homecoming to learn three new cheers. Unless it's just like the actual chance, like they don't have formations or anything. I don't know much about cheerleading, but it seems to be a pretty competitive sport. Yeah. So I can see it being a reality yeah so it just i don't know i just think it's funny that she's because she like it fits her character too to just cut out of cheer practice yeah, early does. yeah she's she's a very irresponsible just a kid looking to have fun yeah uh and i i gotta say this so pj souls was at scarefest this past year and her table was always fucking packed like we never got a chance to actually talk to her except for one time that we were in the bathroom at the same time and i was just kind of like Oh man, your tail your table's been bumping all weekend. This is on Sunday, and she goes, "Yeah, I took a break to eat and pee." And I was like, "Okay." And I'm like, I like I didn't want to like bog her down because she yeah. clearly just said she was taking a break. But I was like, "Well, at least I gotta talk to PJ Souls." That's another thing. I talked to you about this last night whenever we watched it. But they look so tall in this movie, and we've stood next to her, and she is so short. She I is. would look. Like, I would look like a giant in this scene, and I'm a short man. Like, I'm 5'6"-ish, and I don't, like, that's kind of crazy to just think that, like, if I'm, if I were on this movie, I would look like a giant individual. Yeah, you would look really tall. It's weird to think about. Um, Also, I think it's kind of cool to mention, um, the dialogue that they have here feels very real, but, like, um, I think, like, a lot of that's credited to Deborah. Hill, she uh, she actually wrote all of the women's dialogue. That makes sense. I was gonna say this doesn't feel like men writing women. Yeah, which, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like, that's they were like a good team. Um, and I respect John Carpenter for being like, hey, probably not my forte. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, definitely like let somebody that knows the material or like knows like the perspective do that. He actually focused mostly on Loomis's giant rants. 
Uh, <laughs> I, no, okay, so there's a subreddit called Men Writing Women. I've seen that, yeah. My favorite is a parody post where, like, she got up and her breasts were magnificent. She boobed boobily down the stairs. It's like <laughs> Dennis Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I like, it does feel like teenagers talking. I think my favorite part of this whole bit, because Annie joins up and um, is talking to them, and they're just talking about their homecoming plans or whatever, and uh, Annie saying something, or... Um, they're talking about wanting a place to fuck, basically. Yeah. And Linda says something to the effect of like, well, you just need a place to, and Laura goes, oh, shit, because she realized she forgot her chemistry <laughs> book. And Annie goes, well, I have a place for that. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good scene. It's amazing. I love that bit of dialogue. Annie is easily the funniest of the three of them. Uh, yeah, I love her character. And She's great. that's when Michael drives by super fast, and Annie goes, hey, speed kills. And then he like, and then Lori's like, you're going to get us all killed. Not entirely wrong. No. <laughs> I feel like that is the moment that puts them yeah. on her radar or yeah. on his radar. Yeah, he probably would have only killed Lori. And then he was like, you know yeah. what? Fuck these girls. Well, you know, because that's the thing. I don't, he's going on a spree here. So he would have, he would have killed Lori and then he would have expanded. But really, I think what this did was kind of like expedited the whole process. So it just kind of put them on his radar. So after this, he begins to stalk them. They're like continuing to walk throughout the neighborhood. They're walking home. He's like, speed kills? All right. (laughs) Call me speed. (laughs) And it's really cool too. Whenever you actually pay attention to the shot, you can actually see, like he's got the full getup on in the car. You know, you can actually see him if you're paying attention. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a nice attention to detail. But they're walking home. And they're all walking together. And then there's that scene. Uh, so well, Linda, Linda, Linda goes stops home. first. Yeah. yeah. And then Annie and Lori are walking together. And then as they're walking, again, because Lori pays attention, she sees Michael just like, hey, what's up? Puffing out the side of the head. Such a creepy scene, man. I love uh, this yeah, scene so he's much. Yeah, so, like, I honestly forgot how much of Michael just staring that there yeah. is. I forgot it's how much he has been watching them. Half of this movie is built up. Yes. And it's kind of, that's what makes it so good because it's building this tension. You get this guy, you don't really like, you know that he's, you get all of this like, you're kind of being drip fed information from mm-hmm. Loomis. You get the intro and then. We're not getting any information from Loomis. You're getting it's, information yeah, really. in the context of the movie. You might disagree in the terms of reality but in terms of this movie this is all context on the character and based off of what we see on screen it doesn't really sound like he's making anything up but yeah he's um yeah you just it's really nice just watching the stalking scenes the stalking is one of the most powerful things in this movie yeah so he pops out and then he pops back and Laura's like, hey, Annie, there was a guy behind those hedges. She mentions it's the guy that, because um, I guess they got a good look at his face that, mm-hmm. you know, in the you car. Know, speed kills too. Yeah, which, again, great decision to have him in full gear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To make it make sense. Um, so Annie is pissed off. She's kind of like the more like rash one of them. She doesn't have as strong impulse control. Yeah. So she walks up because she's going to tell him off. And then when she peeks her head behind the hedge and she's like doing this whole like 
hey, mister, what's your problem? And she goes, oh, Lori, he wants to talk to you. And skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want this movie ruined for you forever. All right, ready? Okay, so (laughs) when she turns around and tells Lori, hey, he wants to talk to you, a little puff of smoke goes across her face. And that was the smoke from John Carpenter's cigarette. And it's so funny because <laughs> we were watching the commentaries like, and in uh, here's, here comes my smoke. And then like, suddenly you see like a cloud of smoke coming across. I have never noticed no, this. I've watched, watched this movie, movie so, so many, many times. times. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so crazy. But you pointed now it out. That's the thing. Seen it, we can't unsee it. Oh, I, I like that, how you mentioned it last night. Like, that's very much like a person that made something yes. pointing out the imperfections that they notice like that's something that most people wouldn't notice but whenever it's like a work of art that you create it's something that you actually pick up on yeah you're very very critical of yeah it. exactly and yeah um this is a good point to talk about this too so they're filming not only are they filming in the spring they're filming in california mm-hmm. uh and it's very much not this the, is pasadena to be specific yeah this precise. is very much not the midwest in the fall so there aren't leaves on the ground. There are some palm trees that they try to like hide. What they did was they took a bunch of leaves and hand painted each one of them. I could not help but think of those tarantulas let loose in Hollywood. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but they had this whole bag of hand painted leaves that whenever they filmed a scene, they would just scatter the leaves. And okay. if you pay attention, like you see where Lori is on the sidewalk, and then if you look beyond her, Clear. No leaves anywhere on the ground. So I was actually going to wait till the scene that we got to that moment. Um, But since we're already talking about it, I'll tell you now. Okay. So there's a certain somebody that played a role in this. And you know his name. He is another horror icon. I want you to take a guess at who I'm talking about that actually worked on Halloween and was responsible for taking those leaves and throwing them into the fan. That way it looks like it's scattering across the neighborhood. Okay, horror icon in what way? Director? He's a slasher icon. Slasher icon. Yeah. Okay. Helped. And stuff like that. This was 1998. Is it any movie that we've covered so far? Yes. Okay. Slasher icon. It's not Robert England, is it? It is. What? He worked on this movie for this because he had a roommate at the time that was working on it and he convinced him to come down on set that day and actually like work and gather the leaves and scatter them around to make it look like fall. That's amazing. Isn't it? It's it crazy. Is. Yeah. So that's a nice little piece of trivia. That... Oh, that makes my whole spider's comment even better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it kind of is fitting. But yeah, he actually revealed this like in a bloody disgusting article back in 2018. Who did John Carpenter? No, or Robert, Robert England. England. Yeah, he oh. did like an interview, or I don't know if it was an interview, but he kind of like talked about it. I want to meet him so bad. I know, right? Like it's so cool. He seems like the nicest guy. Yeah. Okay. But anyways. Yeah. So take it back a little bit. They um, Lori goes home. Yeah. The the Michael is gone. Yeah. So, um, Annie goes to her house. Lori is walking down the sidewalk, runs into Sheriff Brackett, who's Annie's dad. And Jamie Lee Curtis talked about this in the commentary that she was scared, but she laughed, but she covered her face really quick. And she was like, not happy with that take. And I was like, that makes perfect sense to me, though, thinking about being a teenager. If I'd been scared by one of my best friend's dads. Yeah. Like, I would have tried to cover it up with like a laugh. Yeah, it, it makes seemed sense. like the perfect reaction, honestly. It's, it's real. And this is the one that I thought that you were going to 
intro this with it's halloween everybody's entitled to one one good good scare scare. exactly i thought that that's what you're gonna lead with no i wanted to open it up with the same opening line of the whole franchise okay that seemed to make the most sense uh yeah so at home laurie goes into her room and this is a room that they set dressed but minimally (laughs) yeah but it's very real you know like it doesn't really feel like um like a fake room. No. It feels like a real person actually lives there. Yeah, I just would have expected like maybe a couple of Polaroids or something of her with her friends. She does seem like yeah. she would have something like that. This is this um this is where Jamie Lee Curtis auditioned. This scene right here is what she auditioned with. Um Yeah. And she apparently looking like, out the uh, window and seeing Michael in the in the clotheslines. According to John Carpenter, it was down to her and he described her as the girl from Jaws 2, but I looked that up, and her name is, uh, let's see, Lorraine Gary. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. She's not in much. She's in a lot of other Jaws movies. I forget which. It was some horror documentary we were watching, but they were talking about um, part of what also clinched it for her was the fact that her screams, like, she... That's what makes her a final girl is the way she screams. You you want her to survive. Yeah. And Jamie Lee Curtis talked about seeing this movie in the theater and she was like, oh, shit, I see what people mean with that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she did a great job with this. Um, she gets a phone call and all she hears is like... <sighs> I'm doing a bad impression. I need something to actually chew on. But she's hearing like a chewing sound, but it also sounds like maybe breathing and squishing. I don't know. It's gross sounding. So she hangs up. She gets a call immediately right back. And it's Annie. She's like, why'd you hang up? And she was like, because you didn't say anything. She's like, well, I was chewing. And I'm just like, then why did you call her? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of too. But you know, there are people that do that. (laughs) My little sister is the worst for that. She will like FaceTime. She'll call me and she'll be like, oh, I'm in the drive-thru at McDonald's. I'm like, why did you call me? If you do not have the time to talk, why are you trying to talk to me? Very much in character with what you talked about earlier. Poor impulse control. (laughs) That's what it is. Yeah, so... um, Okay, cool. Um, So Annie is just uh, talking about how she's going to come pick her up. They're going to drive together because they're both babysitting like three doors down from one another. Yeah. Uh, We see... Lori waits outside. Um, she gets picked up by Annie. She's in her last outfit. She's She's got a total of two outfits for this whole movie. When they were talking about the wardrobe changes, this is her second outfit for yeah. the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, while her and Annie are driving, Blue Oyster Cult is playing, and they are smoking, smoking <laughs> the dope. reefer. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as they're driving downtown, they hear alarms. And they see the sheriff's car, and Annie goes, oh, shit, my dad, put it out, put it out, put it out. And they pull up and roll down the window, and he's just like, yeah, somebody robbed the hardwoods, the hardwood, hardware store, but, like, they only stole a mask and some knives and some rope. Like, that's a that's a that's fucking a, yeah. freaky list. That's a dangerous um, combination right he's there. He's like, it's just teenagers. Like, it's fine. That's a, yeah, that's shitty cop. What? Right there. That's a shitty cop. Um... Like, he's a bad cop. He's not a shitty cop in the way a lot of horror movie cops are shitty cops. Yeah, he's just, like, he's bad at his job. And, well, <laughs> he's bad at his job. It kind of makes me think of people, like, in horror movies, whenever you see women having, like, uh, men attack him, it's like, oh, it's probably just some guy pranking you. He'll go away. 
You know, that's kind of the vibe I get from that. That's probably what he would say. It's probably realistic, though. Yeah. Also. Um, So they drive away, and Laurie's like, he definitely smelled it. And he's like, no, he didn't. And, like, he definitely did. Yeah, no shit. Like, weed smells so strong. Yeah, there is no way. And they were hotboxing, so. Yeah, exactly. That, like, he probably got a buzz. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, but he was just doing the whole, like, dad thing. Like, he's like, well, I know they're safe. They're responsible. I don't have any reason to call them out on it. Like. They're not responsible if they're smoking and driving at the same time. Uh, Loomis is talking to the, like, groundskeeper at the cemetery. He's, um. I guess he was meant to be going to Judith Meyer's grave. Yeah, that's where he's being directed. Because he, um, he, like, he suspects that something's going to happen there. Yeah, and they get to a plot that has a missing headstone. And Myers is like, whose is it? Whose is it? Whose is it? He said Myers is oh, Loomis. Loomis. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, Michael Myers like, shows up. Yeah. Who is it? <laughs> it's first, first and only words in the entire series. <laughs> if they ever make Michael Myers talk, oh fuck, they did in the remake. Never mind. But yeah, it's Judith Myers' tombstone that's missing, which Loomis knew, but his little drama queen ass couldn't resist. Well, man, come on. <laughs> if you know, he obviously knows what's going down. He knows Michael, and he knows what his intentions are going to be. If he already knew he was going to be going to that tombstone, I feel like. Like, he had a hunch there, and then whenever he saw that, he knows what's going on. He and knows what's going to happen. Instead of, you know, shouting at this groundskeeper, can he have been like, this is Judith Meyer's sight, isn't it? Like, he could have He's said freaking that out. like a human being. He's, He's always at a 10. Dude, if Michael Myers is on the loose, you if you're not on a 10, you're just going to be, you're doing it wrong. He's not at the top of his game, though. He's spending all his time. He's he's chasing waterfalls, and he's not sticking to the river and lakes that he's used to. Are you quoting TLC at me right now? Yes. Don't do that. Don't ever Too do late. that again. Too late. I swear to God, if you ever do that again. Stop making me feel so damn unpretty. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so... When Lori and Annie were driving away, we kind of talked about this out of order. When Lori and Annie drove away from the hardware store, a car was following them, and we see them take a curve. And that scene fades dark, so that way when the next scene pops up and it's full night, you'd be like, oh, well, yeah, it makes sense because the sun was setting as they were rounding the curve. Yeah, and that's the additional shot that I was yes. talking about before. Yeah, yeah. He, he said that's just kind of a trick that you have to do when you have to explain why suddenly you're in nighttime. It. You don't need to, but they just needed to pad the time, man. I kind of appreciate that, though, because it would have been annoying if it was, like, bright afternoon, sunlight, and then all of a sudden, dark. Yeah, it's nice, you know? Yeah. Like, even the additional shots serve a pretty good purpose in this movie. Yeah. And really, it introduces us to Ben Tramer, which, in next month, I love talking about his whole scene. But, you know, as a, he's kind of like a throwaway character at this point. <laughs> I feel like we need to get, like... An audio clip from Eric and Vivi talking about Ben Tramer. Just like get like a 30 second bit. Yeah. They, they fucking love talking about Ben Tramer. It's so funny, man. <laughs> ben Tramer is crazy. Uh, so Brackett and Loomis go to the Myers house. Uh, a window is broken. Loomis has another Michael Myers rant. He spent eight years trying to reach Michael and seven years trying to keep him locked up. Here's the thing. As a psychiatrist, you are 
ethically obligated to provide the best care that you can for somebody and if you feel that you are not equipped to provide the best care you transfer them to another professional but he doesn't feel he's not equipped to do that he he figured it out this person he said he spent eight years trying to reach him that's far too long he should have he should have tried to transfer him way before that point okay way beforehand it's unethical he's a bad doctor Okay. Think about the neglect he was probably pushing on his other patients this whole time, especially when he went down his own deep hole of obsession. Possible. We'll never know. <laughs> we won't, because from from the way he tells it, his only patient was Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, probably. I mean, Michael kind of became an obsession for him. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's just it, it, He crossed ethical boundaries a long, long time ago. Um, Tommy asks Lori about the boogeyman. Annie calls. We hear the dog barking in the background. Um, Ben Tramer found out that Lori would be interested in going to the dance with him. And it's possible that Ben Tramer is interested in going to the dance with her. Very high school talk here. Yes, it is. Yeah, definitely high school dialogue. And I love, I love Lori sitting there twirling her hair the entire time. It feels so, so teenager, so innocent. Yeah, it does, yeah. Especially because we haven't seen her do the hair twirl before now. Like, she's having this moment of complete, like, cute innocence, just thinking about this type of stuff. It's very sweet, and I'm glad we get this moment before um, trauma rains down upon her life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, um, Tommy fucks up some blinds trying to stare out. Oh, my God, I noticed that. (laughs) Like... I would be so pissed if that happened. That's worse than our cats. I know. I was immediately like, scout. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's definitely a good kid, though. But yeah, yeah he's just kind of looking out, and he he sees Michael out in the distance yeah. staring into Annie's house. Yeah. Or not Annie's house. Lindsay's house. Oh. Uh, yeah, and Annie's there. She spills butter on herself while she's talking on the phone, so she changes into presumably Mr. Wallace's dress shirt, which is just weird. Yeah, um, I don't get it, but she, I guess her rationale is she's got to go meet Paul here in a little bit, so she's got to be, you know, looking fine and not have butter all over her. So that's it. I don't. It's weird, but that's yeah. where we are. I love this scene, though. I love the scene where she goes out to the laundry room because so no, what she's doing the is entire time. What she's doing is she's washing her clothes mm-hmm. because yeah. she wants to get the Santa. So she goes all the way out to the laundry room, which is separated from the house so fucking inconvenient it's very First far of all, away too what is their plumbing and electricity situation that they can have their washer and dryer this far away from the house it doesn't make sense second of all can you Im- like can you imagine right now i've got laundry going it is 20 degrees outside can you imagine having to walk that far to do your laundry it would suck. It would, it would be, be really awful. bad. It would be scary, too, no matter what. Like, I would be yeah. scared right now if I had to go into our backyard to do our laundry, like, all the way into the, the deepest part of our yard. No, 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 no. Yeah, but really, I think it doesn't make sense when you think about it, but for the movie, it's a perfect setup. Oh, yeah, for no, it's scene. a great setup. So she's in there, and she's putting her clothes in the washer, and then you get to see these glimpses of Michael just kind of stalking in the background at the door. He's watching. The dog is barking. She tells Lindsay to get Lester to stop barking. And um, she thinks that's what Lindsay has done. But in reality, Michael has um, 
She thinks the dog. Lester. Yeah, she thinks the dog got a, a hot date. Is what she says. But really, yeah. Yeah, and they were talking about um, how did you get, how did you train this dog to stop kicking? And John Carpenter's like, well, that's just what happens when you pick up dogs. <laughs> no, what he said is, um, like, it's kicking crazy, but the shot of the dog dying is a slow mo version of the shot. And it's just a dog kind of like, like dropping its leg at that point. But in reality, that dog was kicking like crazy. But, you know. I mean, that's kind of what they do whenever you pick them up, is what he said, too. Yeah, like, that's what like, I was stop. saying, yeah. But, like, it was still kind of, like, fighting. Like, if we well, picked up Talia yeah. right now, she would be fighting us there, after a minute. Yeah, I, there are two different ends of the spectrum for this. So Talia, who, like, panics the entire time, and then, like, one of Morgan's dogs, who, like... They're all tiny, though. They, all, but... they don't like being picked up, but they just freeze. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Dodger specifically. <laughs> and Lester is somewhere in the middle, like kicking yeah. and then slows down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so Lori and Tommy are watching the thing from outer space. This is the Hawks version because John Carpenter hasn't done his version yet. But... This is and he said the reason that he had this movie on is because it was from his own personal collection. So he put that movie on because he loves that movie. And I think it's awesome that he yeah. gets to actually remake the movie. Or not necessarily remake. It's a it's his own Adapt interpretation of the, the... the source material. Yeah. yeah. So it's his own take on the source material. Yeah. Which is one of most people I mean we covered it on this podcast but some people it's a lot of people's favorite horror movie yeah um we come back to annie who's out in this little laundry room she uh michael myers is like popping up in the window and stuff um she thinks she thinks paul is there for some reason don't know where she came to this conclusion because uh she already said that el jerko got grounded um (laughs) it's not el jerko it's old jerko old jerko i thought i've always thought it was el jerko too but i was looking at the subtitles and it's old jerko oh yeah interesting um he like locks that door so she she can't get out she tries to climb out through a window gets her foot caught on a shelf um and the phone rings inside Lindsay answers it and is like annie it's paul and she's like Lindsay, come help me. I don't know how they hear each other so well. Um, but Lindsay ends up, like, helping her out. I don't understand how she got stuck. It's so easy for her to get out of the position that she's in right now. Yeah, I don't. It's eh. weird. It's one of those don't fade too close. Yeah, exactly, to yeah. Um, so Lindsay gets her out, and she goes inside. She talks to Paul, and he's like, hey, my parents are out. You want to come pick me up? And she's like, well, I've got Lindsay. So she decides that she's going to uh, bring Lindsay over to Tommy Doyle's house to hang out with Tommy Doyle and Lori because Lori just allows herself to be walked all over by everybody in her life. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> she is the world's biggest doormat at this point in her <laughs> yes. life. Yes. Um, and Laura was like, whatever, we'll, we'll, it's fine, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and so Annie goes back and she goes out to the car, realizes she forgets her keys, goes, grabs her keys. Like, this is all so drawn out. It's so good, though. It's, it's such so a good job good. of building yeah. tension. And like, this whole time, like, you're just waiting for her to get it. It's, it's probably, like, where one of the original tropes of, like, somebody being behind the door, you know, whatever. Like, every time you're in a movie and you're like, okay, well, somebody might be behind the door, but they might not be. And, like, it's drawing out that tension. This is how 
this is. Like, yeah, you exactly. keep expecting him because he's there. He is watching. We have it confirmed that he's watching. So you're just waiting. And she's for by herself now, too. Yes. Yeah. So she gets the keys, and when she gets into the car, the windshield is all fogged up, which it shouldn't be because it's in a garage. Yeah, and that, and that happens pretty much only when somebody's in the car. Yeah, and so she reaches up and she touches it, realizes the condensation's on the inside, and then that's when he strangles her from behind. He's in the back seat. And this is a fucking terrifying scene. And this, yeah, the first kill of the movie, and we're like over halfway through the movie, too. And this is why when people, this is not the first kill, the garage guy was killed. Okay, first on-screen kill. There we go. Yeah. Um, oh, never mind, because we get that in the very beginning, too. Fuck. Never yeah. mind. You're just there's yeah. a long there's a long time between kills yes, here. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so this is why I don't trust people that tint their car windows because they are clearly psychopaths that fear nothing. They don't feel the need to check the back seat before they get into their car. You know, whenever we first started dating, I had like super tinted windows. I know, it was very shady. It was uh, do, an accident. Do you notice how I always let you get in the car first? Well, they they fucked up my car. <laughs> they weren't supposed to tint them that dark. They like they threw it on for free for me. You had like I'm, the barely legal tinting. You were like at the lo- had, at the farthest end before it becomes illegal. I never got pulled over. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Annie is now dead. It's a great scene. Yeah, it's a, it's a good kill. It, it's fucking terrifying. Um. Also worth noting that the song that she's singing, Oh, Paul, also made up. Yeah. Nancy Loomis came up with that all on her own. That's the John Carpenter effect. Mm-hmm. Um, she had she had something easier to work with, at least. Like, Lori was like, it was just like, uh, Jamie, just sing. Yeah. She's like. <laughs> that was all on her first day of shooting, too. Yeah. But at least, like, Annie, like, okay, Paul, all stall like she had lots to work with with that <laughs> take me to the mall it always like it feels also like she very definitely was thinking of uh mandy by barry manilow probably <laughs> she, yeah she probably had an influence there but um okay so um next we get um wins or not Lindsay. um Linda. tommy see tommy uh peeks out through the window and we're not we're not there yet okay um Tommy looks through the window and sees Michael Myers carrying Annie's body ah, through yes. the front door. He freaks out and Lori calms him down the way you should. Like, I get that he did actually see it and Lindsay believes him, but like, I get it. She's the adult in this situation, even though she's still a kid herself. It's like us with Talia. Anytime yeah. she's partially like, it's fine. There's something out there. Don't worry about it. And sometimes there is something out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, and sometimes we're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's our job as the adult to like, calm them down yeah like, you exactly. can't be scared of everything all the time so yeah. yeah um they go back to watching the movie right away and they talked about this in the commentary they're like this like like kids do like you just like you move on yeah she said she had a difficult time with tommy's actor specifically because he was so high energy she actually yeah. had to hold his hand and pin him against the couch <laughs> at one point to keep yeah. him still for a for a scene <laughs> which like uh, watching that scene again knowing that like you can see like where it's like certain cuts, like his head starts to move in her way. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, okay, I get why she was holding him down. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it too. Um, Loomis is uh, in a bush outside the Myers house and uh, yells at Lonnie. Um, <laughs> oh my God, this is one of my favorite I'll scenes. I'll you in the talk entire... about this. Yeah, so Loomis is staking out Myers' house because, you know, he's just waiting for him to go back to his house. 
But um, a bunch of kids go over to the house, and it's Lonnie that is uh, there to go up and knock on the door. And they say, Lonnie, you do it. Yeah. It's like, he hears his name. Yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> so he goes up there to the door, and then right before he starts to bang on the door, Loomis like, kind of like echoes his voice, and he's like, hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. And then they all run away, and they... Get, they get freaked out, and then the the fucking look on Loomis's face during this scene is so good because he's so proud of himself. He's he's, so he's smiling. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I feel like this scene alone is the reason why Lonnie becomes a character in the later movies because this, he becomes like a fan favorite just from this alone. This scene alone is the only reason Donald Pleasance came back for any of the sequels because yeah. he had so much. This is the only time you see him smile. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then the sheriff comes up and he says, death has come to your little town, sheriff. Yeah, it's he's he's full of one-liners. Loomis has got the best quotes. You can just quote any sentence they says in this movie, and it's fire. It's good it's, shit. He's very reminiscent of like when you get a fortune cookie from Chinese takeout. <laughs> yeah. Because he's a like, walking fortune cookie. Yeah, because most of it's not really a fortune, and like what he's saying is typically is not really helpful stuff. It's just like little one-liners about his uh, view on the situation. My favorite is in Halloween too, and we'll talk about that next month. But okay. it's one of my favorite lines and. From anything Loomis ever says. So this is where Bob and Linda pull up. Um, I don't want to spend a bunch of time talking about this line, but like they've clearly been drinking, so boo against them. Mm -hmm. um, drunk driving. And then they're talking about the plan. They're going to try and distract... Uh, they're going to have Annie distract Lindsay so they can run upstairs and fuck in the master bedroom. Yeah. Um, which, they're, they're in a giant van. Fuck in the back of the van. Yeah, exactly. It's I don't so understand. stupid. Yeah, you don't need a house for yeah. it. Like, I, if you're that desperate horny teenager like you will fuck anywhere like yeah. you don't need a bed outside in the van like, like yeah it's perfect um, and so like okay i'll rip your clothes off you'll rip my clothes off then we'll rip Lindsay's clothes off it's gross i hate it worst line in the entire movie worse than even any of the loomis lines it's awful don't condone it that's all i want to say about it no nah, that's pretty much all that needs to be said okay um, so when they get into the house, they say it's empty and they're like, hell yeah. They start making out on the couch. Michael Myers is watching, maybe unzipping his jumpsuit. We don't know. Um, we don't know his views on He sex. doesn't get off on anything, man. He just likes to observe. I mean. It's, I just, it's just how I feel about it, man. He, he just stalks around. Then they get in the master bed, which is just rude. It's just disrespectful. Yeah, you know I mean? it is. Yeah. Um, they take the phone off the hook. They have sex. They have this hormone of like, you want a beer? Yeah, I want a beer. And he's like, oh, I thought you were going to get the beer. And she goes, get me a beer. Uh, and we, if you are new to our podcast, which most of you are newer than when we did this because this was like only a couple weeks in. So last year for Valentine's Day, we did a Bob and Linda photo shoot, except um, Travis was Linda and I was Bob. So <laughs> yeah. go to our Instagram and scroll way back to the beginning. It's and our see header us. on Twitter still too. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, so scroll way back, see see those pictures it's that we great. had fun it with fun, it. Yeah. We love this. We love this scene. Travis actually has uh, one of the film cells from yes, Bob Jesse, as the ghost. Yeah, I think it was a it was a Christmas present you got me. Yeah, last year. No, it was the year before. Well, I mean, last year was you know obviously how. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, I got the film cell of Ghost Bob up here. 
Um, Ghost Bob is one of the best scenes in the movie, and yeah. it was actually purely from Deborah Hill. Um, she suggested this scene, and John Carpenter was kind of against it at first. He's like, "Okay, well, I guess we'll just ch- you know see how it goes." But then, once everything played out, it is such an iconic scene. It works yeah. so well. Love it so much. So yeah. Bob goes downstairs to get the beers, and like Michael just stabs him to the wall. Like fucking, he's a college freshman hanging up his poster in his dorm room like and he does the look the little head the tilt, little head which becomes iconic. part of his character yeah. yeah and that was nick castle uh, apparently his whole motivation for that scene um it's like a kid looking at like a butterfly for the first time like he still kind of has he took it as like the kid has like that six year old mentality still okay yeah i think he's a little bit smarter than that well, yeah, but he's got the like childlike wonder to him, okay. like whenever okay. he does that. But yeah, he's like he's driving, so he's definitely not a six-year-old. Yeah. So he takes a sheet and takes Bob's glasses, puts them on, and he pops up in the doorway. And Linda's like, "You got my beer." You know, talking to him, not getting any answers. She tries to flash him, like not getting a reaction. Yeah, not getting a reaction. So she gets annoyed. She tries to call Annie, and at that point is when um, he like wraps the phone cord around her neck and is like choking her. And of course, Lori is like, "Okay, cool, Annie. First, I got your famous chewing. Now I get your famous moaning." Because it sounds like they're having sex. Like, which says a lot about their friendship that she like assumes that Annie would call her during sex. But no, it's uh, well, is it Annie? I think she thinks it's, No, she thinks it's Annie because oh, Annie's someone that called her while she was chewing before. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She doesn't know that Bob and Linda are over there right now. As that's far as she right. like because she this is before call her ID or anything like that. That's right. Yeah, um yeah. and she doesn't know she doesn't know where Annie is. All she knows is that um She's going to go meet Paul. Yeah, she's going to go meet Paul. She doesn't know what time she's supposed to put Lindsay to bed, so she just ends up putting Tommy and Lindsay to bed together, clearly in the parents' bed because they're both fitting. Like, a child's bed. I mean, they're children, so they're small, but a child's bed is also small, and there's a lot of space around them, so. Yeah. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, So all of the scenes in her script, she numbered them, and she, like, labeled what intensity level she should have for each of them. John Carpenter labeled them like that. Okay. That way, yeah, she knows, like, what intensity intensity level come into it. Because they don't film everything in order, obviously. Yeah. Which I like hearing that this is the way they did this, because I always wonder how you, like, gear yourself up if you haven't, like, had that on-screen emotional development yet. Yeah. So it's really interesting that she was like, okay, well, this is where I have to be at a 10, and this is where she's coming up, that she's got to get, like, really intense coming up. Yeah. Um, Lori decides she's going to go investigate outside. She grabs her keys from her knitting bag. And this is, they point out a little whoopsie in the set design. Yeah. So from the inside, the doorknob is on the right-hand side. And then when you see her go outside and closes the door, the doorknob is also on the right-hand side, which it should be on the left-hand side if internally it's on the right-hand side. Yeah. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis was so adamant about pointing that out during the commentary. I would have never noticed it. Yeah. So, And they were talking about this because it's such a long scene of her getting out this door and getting over to the Wallace's house and then getting upstairs to see 
Linda and Annie and everybody's bodies. Yeah, it's another scene where you're just kind of building the tension here. Yeah. And the score is what makes it work. Yeah. It, it's and, so good. And it's because as an audience member, you know what's happened and you know what's waiting for her. Except we don't actually know what's waiting for her. Yeah. We don't realize how bad it's going to be when she gets up there. But she's just walking leisurely across the street. And Jamie Lee Curtis is like, this is a long shot. I wish I knew exactly how long it is. Don't worry. I timed it. Same as I timed Judith Myers' unsatisfying final <laughs> sexual intercourse. Yeah. Um, so by the time she walks out the front door until when she gets into the Wallace's house is two minutes and 26 seconds. It's a long shot. It's a long shot. And she looks around downstairs for a little bit, trying to find any sign of anybody being there. Um she goes up the stairs, and by the time she opens that bedroom door, it's been five full minutes since she walked through the front door of the Doyle's house. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a full five minutes. Like It, it feels doesn't, like man. You feel the tension, but five minutes is a long goddamn time. It is. You don't think about it because you're so pulled in mm-hmm. and immersed in the scene. I, I, I've said before, we've watched this movie so many times. Once we get to this point, I mean, just anything in this movie beforehand, but especially at this point, I am drawn in and I cannot look away. I thought so much of this action happened so much earlier in the movie. I know. And it shocks me to realize that this is all like the last 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like pretty much all of the action in this movie happens at the very end of it. So she gets up there. She finds Annie's body on the bed with Judith Meyer's headstone. And of course she screams. And she sees Bob's body. And she finds Linda's body. And Michael's in she she like runs out in the doorway and Michael Myers is in a room behind her. And what they did was they kind of like gradually upped the brightness so that way you could see him. And it's fucking terrifying. It's such a it's good so shot. Scary. It's so good. Yes. And so she runs and she goes down into the kitchen and like No, she doesn't run, man. She like backs into the like stairs and falls off from the second floor all the way down to the bottom of the stairs. Okay. Well, run was easier to put in my notes. Well, yeah. But it's such a... She's injured here. She's limping. she's limping. Um, She goes into the kitchen, and she's trying to get out of this back door again, but he has, like, put a rake up against it so she can't open the door. Um, And you can see there's one pane of glass that looks different than the rest, and she was, like, very hung up on it. Again, these are, like, things that, like, you're very aware of. I probably wouldn't have noticed it before. It's, like, we realized one of our window panes is different than the rest on our front window. This wasn't about to. (laughs) Yeah, and we were, like, well, clearly that was replaced at some time before we bought the house. Like, we wouldn't have questioned it, but it was because it was the candy pane, so that way she could break through it safely and open the the door to get out. This, uh, the the music during this... Pole chase is so good. It sounds like a train. And her screaming. God, I'm getting like shivers just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's so really good. good. Yeah. It's so good. She's screaming. She goes to the neighbor's house. She's like begging for help. And they just like turn the light out on her. And like you feel you feel that sense of hopelessness with her. Yeah. And she's so she sells it so well here, she's man. So good. So she goes back to the Doyle's house. She uh, the phone is not working. No, um, I mean even before then though, like she's trying to open the door and she can't get it. And that shot from across the oh, street yeah, where Michael, her, yeah, yeah, yeah he keeps cutting back and like he's slowly walking towards her. She's having to take like the plant uh, vase and throw it up against the window to wake up Tom. He has to go down. He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, so he's, he's like very taking sleepy. his time. Yeah. yeah, and I I know a lot of people like, and I think this is more more relevant in the later entries in the franchise, but a lot of people are like, he just walks everywhere and he still catches up. 
But in this one, it makes sense. Like, we're supposed to feel that um, uh, dissonance between the two of them, where he's going so slowly, he's leisurely, he's in his element. She is panicking. She is freaking out. You feel that between the two of them. Yeah, it's not having that contrast. Yeah. And so Tommy lets her in. She locks the door, and she's like, okay, we're, you know, um, takes him upstairs. Um, and like she's trying to tell them what they need to do. Like you need to go down to the Mackenzie's. Wait, is no, that... that's later. That's later. Okay. So right now she's like, just go upstairs and lock yeah. the door. Um, yeah. She locks the door. She realizes once he's upstairs that the window is open. So she starts to freak out. She's turned all the lights out. Um, and then she kind of just crouches down by the couch. And then he pops up from behind the couch and stabs at her. She, she takes grabs the... a knitting knitting needle. Yeah, and, and stabs, stabs him in the neck. neck. Yeah. So he drops the knife. She picks it up, but she looks at him, thinks that he's dead. She does not want to be holding that knife, so she drops it. And apparently a lot of people question her motive for dropping the knife. I get it here, because she thinks it's over with. I get it. She stabbed him in the neck. She look. She looks clearly disgusted with the knife, because it's a yeah. knife that she assumes killed some of her friends. But it's also, we talk about this so many times on the podcast, but double the rule tap. of double tap, yes. Yeah. Make sure they're dead. Yeah. Um. So... She goes upstairs, and this is where she tells them to, um... No. Yeah? No. So what happens is she goes upstairs. She is like, it's okay. And she's like, was it the boogeyman? Or Tommy's like, was it the boogeyman? She's like, I don't know. And she's just trying to calm them down. She's like, it's over with. And then he comes up the stairs, and then he's standing behind her. Tommy freaks out, screams. She rushes them back into the room, okay, tells okay, them to close yeah, the door. Yeah. She goes into the bedroom. She Hides in the closet. Up, yeah, she opens up the balcony to try and throw him off, goes into the closet, ties a rope around the door, uh, the knob. That way she can like, kind of walk it herself. Yeah, this is like accordion doors. Yeah. But he comes in and he doesn't fall for the trick. He starts breaking the slats and the door. He turns on the light, which... Yeah, he just punches through it. But I like the whole like him trying to open it and he's just shaking the whole door. It's such a good scene. It's so yeah. tense. Yeah, and she takes the opportunity to grab a wire hanger, unfold it, and then when he like gets his face in there, she stabs his eye mm-hmm. and grabs his knife again and drops it again. She stabs him first. She stabs him, She yeah. stabs him first, and then she drops the knife again, and then this is where she tells them to go down the street to Mackenzie's, have them call the police, blah, blah, blah. And she's like dealing with this adrenaline rush herself. She's injured. She's been cut. She's hurt herself. Like, she's just, she's a mess right now. Um, We see Loomis is walking down the street. There's toilet paper in a hedge behind him because Halloween. Um. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, he's just, he saw his car there. So he is scoping the block. He's like, he's parked three uh, blocks down. Um, I'm covering the front, and then he tells the sheriff to cover the back. So he's walking around the neighborhood, just like looking for him. He's waiting for something to happen, and then he notices the kids running out of the house, shouting. And then so he goes to run into that house. Yeah. And then meanwhile, uh, Lori's upstairs, and we get this f- this beautiful shot of like her in the doorway. You think she's safe, like she's breathing, but the music is still very. And then in the background, very fuzzy, you see Michael Myers just. It's like the dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And then like he sits up, and then he comes at her. His mask is off at one point. You actually really can see his face. And Um, by the way, so I don't know. I don't. You didn't know this. Remember, I told you this last time. But this is not Nick Castle. Whenever they demask him, they got a completely different guy. 
to play Michael, I guess, because Michael. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you, I mean, I'm sure some of you have, but if anybody that's seen what Nick Castle actually looks like, he's a very goofy looking guy. Um, so if you actually see him unmasked, it's going to be, it's not going to be as believable, but I think you wanted to get the point across that Michael is like a normal looking person. Yeah. Um, but the person that plays Michael there is uh, Tony Moran. Mm-hmm. This is the guy that got kicked out of Scarefest because he was talking shit about Halloween fans. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he like got caught talking shit about Halloween fans, and then Scarefest is like, you know what? We don't want anybody here that's going to be talking about that about yeah, our I remember, demographic. I remember we saw that he was on the lineup, and we were really excited. Um, and then all of a sudden he was like kicked off. And yeah, was, yeah. You know what? Good riddance, if yeah. that's the case, because you know everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But like Jesus, something that gave you such a big—you're profiting yeah. off of it, obviously. But don't talk shit about people that are into yeah. that. I mean, we joking. We call this podcast "What's Your Least Favorite Scary Movie," but it's because you know it's tongue in cheek. We want to figure out why people do and don't like different horror movies. We yeah. try to make that space for everybody to have their different opinions. We're not going to say like, if you don't like this movie, your opinion sucks. We're going to be like, I mean, we disagree with you, but we're willing to hear you out. Why? You know? Exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, this is his like one. This is his thing right here. I don't think he's really known for anything other than this. So that's it. He's yeah. He masked for a second. He puts the mask back on. Um, right before he goes to stab Lori, Loomis shows up, he runs up the stairs, and he shoots him six, six times. times. Shoots him six times. Michael backs off of the balcony, falls down to the ground. They think they got him. There's a shot of him laying down on the ground out there. And Lori says, what the was this a fucking man? No, after the fact that when Loomis goes out to double check and see if he's actually dead, looks down off the balcony, doesn't see anybody there. So, the way that this was played, whenever um, Donald Pleasance was asking John Carpenter how to do this scene, he's like, okay, how do you want me to approach this scene? Do you want me to kind of give a look where I'm like, okay, of course this is going to happen? Or do you want me to give a look of, like, surprise and, you know, you didn't expect this? And John Carpenter, he said, like, he was inexperienced. He didn't know what to do. I think he was still intimidated by Donald Pleasance. He's like... Let's just do both ways. So what they ended up doing was um, they used the shot where it was, of course, of course this is going to happen. But he mixed in a little bit of, um, I I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, he looks both. Like he's like He's like, of course, but also, oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, so he looks down and he's shocked at first, but then he kind of realizes, like, okay, I should have known this was going to happen. And then that's when Laurie asks, was it the boogeyman? And then... Loomis says, as a matter of fact, it was. And then we get the score, and then we get the like little shots of all of the locations where everything has happened, and then you get the overlay of Michael's breathing, and it's such an effective ending. It's so good. I love it so much. This movie ends there. Okay. So. Post-discussions and thoughts and okay. ratings. What? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Um, you can go and go. Okay, so I still love this movie, and I'm still gonna give it a ten. I'm just gonna like I don't take back anything I said at the beginning. Nothing about this changed. Um, I mean, obviously there's like little goofs in there, but like nothing noticeable if you don't. A goof happens in every movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean the whole driving thing—that's something. It's one of those that I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for. I mean, they call it out in the movie. Yeah, and it's fun. It's one of those things that's fun to talk about, but it doesn't take away my enjoyment of the movie, so I'm okay with it. Um, 
my whole thing with Loomis is that he's just, he's a bad doctor. He's not doing his job. And I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead of it. But this is the one change that I would make to the movie is not make him his psychiatrist. Because I don't feel like we get enough out of him from the role of psychiatrist. I know we're supposed to be like somebody that can see inside of his brain. But if he hasn't been able to talk to him, he hasn't been able to really see inside his brain is the thing. Um, I think, honestly, I would like to make him, and I said this when we talked about this movie, but I would love to give him more of a Creighton Duke role. Like where a he's, bounty hunter? Yeah. Like where he's like an outsider that has meticulously studied this person from the outside and is obsessed with him and is kind of like crazy-eyed about it. That's what I would want to see different with this. I don't think we get anything of value by making him a psychiatrist because his role as a psychiatrist isn't fully fleshed out. Okay. So that's that's really what I would change about it. And it gets worse and worse as we go through the series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I, he's a bad psychiatrist. He's a, he's a bad psychiatrist. I get why he's there narratively. But no, as a doctor, he's a bad doctor. Okay. Suing him. Malpractice. Okay. Hope you got insurance, Samuel. All right. Is that your ending thoughts? Those are my ending thoughts. That's the one change I would make. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Obviously. I wish I could give this movie more than a 10. This is <laughs> the perfect horror movie. Like, I mean, I just can't think of anything that you can do differently. It's it's like lightning in a bottle right here. I don't think that they realized what they were doing. Um and oh they definitely didn't yeah i mean they it, say as much they were like you know it, it's just crazy like, yeah. it, like i mean sometimes that happens you know sometimes you just kind of like get that magic there you get like you get somebody that's a director like john carpenter who is kind of like up and coming at this point you know he's still fresh very talented but yeah. still very new exactly but and, like very much a wunderkind like he's yeah he's innovative a natural they're talent. like using they're using like new and i'm not technology. saying that to say like oh well it was all natural talent like clearly he's smart and he thinks things through but yeah. like he's got he's got an eye for things that everybody doesn't and exactly have. like it's kind of like the perfect group of people to do this i yeah. mean even down to like people behind the scenes you got like dean gundy that does all of the camera work here um you got tommy lee wallace who's responsible for the mask the mask is one of the most important things of this like it's so good yeah and it's so simple too that's kind of like the theme of this movie it's so good and so simple and of course like jamie lee curtis like she's so she's a brand new actor but like she gives it everything she's got she's an amazing you want her to survive yeah heart goes out to her they do an amazing job with this movie it's just so good i can't say anything bad about it and um we'll, we'll talk about loomis so many times throughout this but i kind of I mean, as a psychiatrist role, I get it. And I get, I mean, this is like a horror movie and this is a work of fiction. You know, this is somebody, they play the whole thing about Michael being supernatural as like, it's kind of toyed with here a little bit. And and the fact that they refer to him like purely as the shape in the credits, like that tells you that he's never once referred to that in the movie. He's always referred to as Michael. He's... Like, whenever they were talking about this and writing this, he was not a person. Yeah. He's evil incarnate. And that's how Loomis, he's the one that notices it. He's, you know, that's how it is in this. It's fiction. You know, this is not based on reality. It's it's a grounded horror movie, but at the same time, is it? You know, like, it's, 
and they toy with this so much more throughout the series, but you just don't know. And that's kind of one of the good things about that's it. That's what I'm saying. I would be okay with his character if he was not a psychiatrist. I get that you can bend things with fiction, and I'm okay with that. Like I said, I'm okay with the whole idea of Michael somehow being able to drive. Yeah. Um, but I just... it. It crosses a boundary. It's kind of like, you know, the the whole joke about, like, hackers in a movie. <laughs> and that it, drives me insane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So. All right. What did Talia think about this one? Talia gives it a 10. Obviously. Talia loves it. And we're not, we're not saying this because, like, we both gave it 10s or saying this because she slept literally the entire time, but not, like, asleep where she's, like, she was facing the TV. She would, like, occasionally wake up, look at the TV, and go back to sleep. It's something she has watched with us dozens of times. It's like a comfort movie. It's something you I put mean, on when you go to bed. Yeah, just looking at her face last night when we had this on and the way that she was sleeping, she was comfortable. She yeah. was enjoying this. Yeah, and when we, we watched it again to get, um, you know, the different, like, non-commentary viewing experience, like, she she was up and she was watching it with us and she was paying attention. She really, she really likes the movie, so. Exactly, so, yeah, 10 out of 10. Yeah. All right. So uh, um, also with the commentary, they were saying a lot of like good girl and like you could see her ear twitch a little bit in her sleep because they're like, talking about how Laurie Strode is a good girl and like her ear would twitch because she's like, <laughs> yeah. I am a good girl. <laughs> and she is a good girl. She is. So it's very true. So we have four internet re- or not internet. Re- um, listener reviews. Four listener reviews for this movie. Okay. Two on Twitter, two on Instagram. So we'll start off with the Twitter ones. Okay. All right. Number one, we have Aquile. Okay. Aquile boobs. Hello. They say, ah, Jamie Lee, the original screen queen. What can you say about this butte that hasn't been said already from the instantly classic theme to the kills burned into memory? A classic through and through. It's one of those movies you just have to watch every year. Agreed. Yeah, we, we do absolutely. watch it every year. We watch it multiple times a year. Yeah. It, yeah, it's just a classic. It's one of yours that, like, if you want a movie on, like, I'm saying you, Trav, mm-hmm. like, as a person, you, that's one that you don't know what you want to put on, you'll put on Halloween. Yeah. And anytime you're on Shutter, if it's playing on one of the channels, you just leave it on. Yeah. Yeah. It, you don't turn Halloween off. It's just against the law. And the second one on here, we have um, an American werewolf. In New Jersey. Uh, in New Jersey. So this one was kind of cool because this is coming from somebody that's watched it very recently for the yeah. very first time. So what they have to say is, I just saw this for the first time in a long, oh, in a long time. Never mind. Okay. Well, I mean, um, that still kind of gives you a fresher perspective. Yeah. On the other day, bearing in mind the suggestion of a friend that Myers is really a demon, absolutely evil in parentheses, and therefore he won't die. He takes a needle in the neck, a hanger in the eye, a knife and six shots. Maybe he was right. This is, of course, no excuse to still be making movies about it 40 years later, but as for the original film, and maybe the second, it's a stable rationale. Okay. I agree. We are more grounded in reality, aside from the managing to survive all of those wounds. Um, And Loomis is probably a bad It's a very short amount of time. No, he gets... You see it. He gets hit. He's not backing away when he's not getting shy you know he's getting hit but i'm just saying yeah the first two are definitely very grounded in reality um i i'm gonna be very excited to talk about 2018 because i feel like it's a great um requel i think so too um i i'm really excited to talk about it i see it from the perspective of like let's get some new movies going instead of digging up 
old ghosts, but well, I was a big fan of 2018. So they wanted to take John Carpenter's original vision of them it just being a random occurrence, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I, we'll, we'll talk. We'll uh, talk about yeah, it in a few months. So, <laughs> almost a year. <laughs> All right, and Instagram. We have two more. We have M Feldman, who says, "Love it." So I definitely agree with yeah, that. That's, I mean, for sure. how can you not? And then M Storm says, eight-year-old me watched this opening weekend, didn't turn the lights out for a month. Yeah. That, I, I'm i so jealous that you got to see this in the original run. We watched this in theaters um, at one point. It was one of the worst theater oh, experiences in our life. It was you, me, and... Um, it's Pierce. Yeah, you're, you're like your best friend from childhood. We yeah. went to go see it because the Kentucky Theater used to do every October on Friday and Saturday, they would do midnight showing of classic horror movies. And they were doing Halloween one weekend. And we were really, really excited because obviously we weren't alive when Halloween was in theaters. So this was our chance to see it in theaters. And we're there. We're watching it. We're having a good time. Um, Pierce is going through nicotine withdrawal. Um, so he's having probably not as good a time as us. <laughs> <laughs> and these two girls behind us are getting like gradually louder and louder and louder. And it's becoming very clear that they're drunk and that they've probably snuck in like tiny liquor bottles to put in their concession drinks. Yeah. Um, because this is like it's a smaller theater, so it's not like it's not like one of those it's where a you historic have historic theaters. Yeah. The Kentucky theater. Yeah. It, it's not like you've got ushers there checking your purse when you walk in. Yeah. Um, and they're getting louder and louder and louder and louder and they're just being obnoxious and near the end like when the tension is so high Lori's falling down the stairs they are cracking up and you turned around and you were like will you shut the fuck up and then all that did it did not shut them up it just targeted their yelling at us yeah yeah but it takes a lot to get me to that point I know I was shocked honestly that you did that and then you went to try and get the usher the usher really didn't do a whole lot well, listen, it kind of made the situation I'll, worse I'll i don't talk. let's not get okay. into that okay um but like at the end of the movie because it, it just it was bad the rest of the time like what should have been one of our favorite movie going experiences was bad because these women are just shouting at us the whole time and then we leave the theater and we're trying to get out and one of them is chasing after us tries to throw her drink at us she throws ice on pierce yeah so it was just, it was a bad time. And like, as we're leaving, they're shouting at us. Like one of them's like, I'm a college professor. And I'm like, she gave us her name too. Yeah, she gave us her name. She told us what college she worked for. So we get back to Pierce's apartment and Caleb's there and we're telling him this story. And so he went and signed her up for a bunch of spam. Yes. It was so good. <laughs> Revenge. We did it. I felt good about that. Like, like it's just like. I mean, it's very petty revenge. It's an inconvenience. Fuck I don't give but a like, shit. yeah, she told us who she was. Like, it was gonna change our minds that she was less obnoxious somehow. Like, Hell no. cool, you're a professor. You should know how to behave in public. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's let's wrap this up. We got um, the critic review this All time. Right. Okay. Yeah. I went with a critic review actually. So okay. you know, I want to get somebody that does not like this movie because obviously I knew that we were going to shower this movie with love so let's get that yeah. perspective and a lot of our, our listeners Everybody our reviews did. were yeah. very positive so um, so um, the lowest one we got um, a 37 out of 100 okay it's from the Washington Post written by Gary Arnold um, the Pretty much all you need to know is what they say is um, Halloween is a stab at a derivative minor classic. It's apparent where Carpenter got his horror devices and a minor misfortune that he hasn't been able to synthesize them in a fresh or exciting way. Um, I got another one here too that I'll just... uh, It's Variety. They gave it a 50. 
Um, and they say, um, after a promising opening, Halloween becomes just another maniac on the loose suspenser. However, despite the pr- uh, prosaic plot, <laughs> director John Carpenter has timed the film score so that the 93-minute item is packed with enough thrills. Funny that they say that there's like absolutely no gore in this movie. So, yeah. Intentional, but you know. But yeah, so. I'm a big believer of the everything doesn't have to be innovative to be good. Well, really, this movie was pretty innovative. It wasn't the first slasher, and there were several movies that, you know, did similar things beforehand, but this movie kind of made it. It's so influential. It kind of set the standard. Everything else were just. It, this is kind of like the culmination of like what came before and how you're supposed to do it, and then everybody tried to repeat it afterwards. And you know, not everybody nailed it. I don't think they really got what made, you know, this movie so special. I mean, look at Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, the original. I mean, people just kind of looked at it and were like, "All right, we're doing holiday themed horror movies now, I guess, and slashers." So, but yeah. Okay, so. Dream, no dream sequel. No dream sequel because we, this is our newest franchise. So. All right. So next week. No? Who did you relate to? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, I related to... Um, you go first. Um, I, I relate to Lori because I yeah. was a little goody two-shoes doormat. Very nervous to talk to boys. So. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't think I would have survived, but... You know, <laughs> um, I'll just uh, I'll, I relate to Tommy because I was a very scared kid. <laughs> um, I was terrified of Michael Myers as a kid, and um, I also like to watch scary movies as a kid. So that kid kind of falls in line with how I was. So we'll just leave it at that. All right, now next week, uh, we are covering a fairly recent movie. We yes. are going to be talking about James Wan's Malignant. Yes, we're very excited to talk about this. It's a new month, so obviously um, soon we will have the February schedule up. Yeah. But the first one is going to be Malignant, and it's going to be getting added to HBO Max, which is where we're planning to watch it. Yeah, like this coming week. Mm-hmm. So. But you are able to rent it from YouTube, Vudu, Google Play, and Prime right now. Yeah. So, but and I think it's like the 28th it comes out on HBO. So. Yeah. It's a really good movie. Um, that's all I'm going to say about it is that we really enjoyed it. It's really good. It's been very divisive. So your yeah, mileage one, may vary. I, I picked it because I want us to be able to shed some love on this movie that I've seen yeah. a lot of people hate. Yeah. So. so we're really excited to talk about that. Yeah. All right. Um, in the meantime, you can find us on our social media. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram, Least Favorite Scary Movie Podcast. We've got a Twitter at Least Fave Pod. You can email us, Least Favorite Scary Movie Podcast at gmail.com. No, Least Favorite Scary Movie at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, we've got a website, What's Your Least Favorite Scary Movie.com. Um, if you're listening to us, wherever you're listening to us, please uh, like follow us, subscribe to it, whatever it is. It it helps the algorithm boost Rate us. Review. Yeah, rate and review. Again, that helps boost the algorithm, and it also helps other people that are like looking for a horror movie podcast, and they're mm. like, hmm, this has good reviews. Gonna check it out. Yeah, and tell and, your friends. Yeah, too. tell your friends. Share us. Share that you're listening to us. Uh, we we love the love. We love the discussions that we're getting online. It's a lot of fun. We really love the horror community. It's so important to us, and that's why we continue to do this so it's been a year 
We're having fun with yeah, everybody. Yeah, it's been exactly a year, yeah. man. It's so cool that we've been doing this for a year now. Yeah, we're, we're so happy with all the people we've met along the way. Even if we haven't met all of you in person, we've met so many wonderful people online that we, we wouldn't have gotten to know otherwise. Um, so thank you guys so much, and um, we hope to continue to grow with you all. Yeah, looking so, forward to it. Yeah. All right, until next time. All right, see you all. Bye. sure i'm not missing anything mm -hmm.